This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. We are live on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there, hopefully you're enjoying a nice day on a Tuesday here. It is the start of the Phillies mailbag. Frank Close will join us in less than an hour answering your Phillies questions for the 2024 season. Kevin Durso will take a look back at the stadium series and what's next for the Flyers now as really the stretch run is here. We'll talk to Kevin in the 3 o'clock hour. Jeff Kerr with all the latest on the NFL He's got some thoughts on free agency and team needs. Got a great piece up over at CBS Sports on all of the 32 NFL teams' biggest needs this offseason. We'll talk to him about that coming up tonight at 5 o'clock. Sixers still a little quiet right now coming out of the All-Star break. They won't get going until Thursday night. It's another night with no Philly sports. You know what I watched last night, by the way, there, Josh? I was asking, like, uh, what is something that I should try to get into that, um, you know, there's no games last night. There was no, I mean, a lot of college basketball, that kind of stuff, but no Philly games last night. So I sat and watched episodes of uh, the old Seinfeld um, comedians in cars drinking coffee. And uh, I forgot about I, I had seen a handful of episodes of that, but I was really, really entertained. It was a fun um, little thing that he did where he basically just picked up different comedians in like really high end cars and then took them for coffee and they just kind of, you know, shot the, you know what? And, and it was fun. So that filled my void last night. I got to figure out what I'm going to do for the second night in a row with no Philly sports to watch. You know, I'm trying to find another show to get into. So. I don't know. I just kind of randomly came across the comedians in cars drinking coffee. So that's what I did. But that's where we're at. No football, the all-star break, hockey. You know, the Flyers kind of hit this lull because they played the stadium series games. So they had a couple days off. They don't play until again until tomorrow night. And, like, the Phillies don't start to this weekend. So you're giving me nothing right now. Now, did you – were you the one who told me you liked Homeland? I did like Homeland. Yeah, that was um, Claire Danes. Yes. So, have you watched the show on Netflix, The Night Agent? I just finished it. Okay. Literally just finished The Night Agent maybe last week. Did you like it? It was good. It wasn't like, wow, great, but it was solid. I, I, I'd say solid right now with what we're going through. <laughs> it's worth your time. Yeah. But I wasn't like, wow, this is an unbelievable show. My mom was all like, you got to watch The Night Agent. You got to watch The Night Agent. So we finally gave it a shot, and uh, I wasn't like, this is an A+. plus. I mean, it was probably, you know, a, a good solid B, yeah. but not like you have to watch it. But if you're like, what am I going to do tonight? No Flyers, no Sixers, Phillies don't start, Eagles are done, there's nothing happening. I'm not a college bit. Now, I'm a college basketball guy, but I said the other day, I have no problem saying, I love college basketball. College basketball is unwatchable. I mean, it's bad right now. Now, I love the tournament. And I don't care what I'm watching for the tournament because I love the competition mm -hmm. and the tournament. 
But college basketball is a mess right now. They got to figure out something. Now, this whole thing we talked about yesterday with the G League Ignite possibly going away, going away. Maybe that adds some better high end talent. If I was to say right now to people, and I don't expect you to know the answer to this, who's the number one pick in the NBA draft? I mean, it, who is the best? Okay, forget who's the number one pick in the NBA draft. Who is the favorite for college basketball player of the year? Hunter Dickinson? Possible. I was going to say him. Maybe Baycott from uh, North Carolina, who's been there for like 10 years. Right. <laughs> That's true. But seriously, like, nobody knows these guys. The, the college basketball has really taken a hit. Yeah. It's it's bad. I mean, it's funny, too, because we kind of talked about it yesterday with the NIL, the G League Ignites deciding uh, maybe we don't have a place. If those kids go to play college ball, I mean, you might get a couple of higher-end talent, but not a lot. I mean, it's not like there's 20 guys G League Ignite that are getting drafted here. A quick question on this point. Do you feel like that some of the guys who are the holdovers, like the guy you saved for extra years because of COVID, do you think that has hurt college basketball? Uh, there's only a handful of them. Well, you mentioned Baycott, for example. I mentioned but, Baycott. That's one. Can you no, give me another guy? I'm sure there's <laughs> I mean, others. Who am, I, who am I missing? Well, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I, I heard Jay Billis bring this up with SVP the other day about how, like, you know, some of these guys, you know, people only know who these guys are because they've been hanging around college basketball Isn't that for what's 10 good, years. though? Like, college basketball, I think, to me, that's the problem, is these guys... They come, and then they leave, and nobody knows them. Back in the day, guys stayed for four years, and you had these great – like, Duke, North Carolina. Is that even a thing anymore? It's hilarious you said that because I literally had this debate with somebody a couple of weeks ago. I was arguing with them about how Duke, North Carolina, like, almost nobody cares anymore. Nobody cares. Duke, North Carolina is not what it was. It's not this big, huge rivalry because – Nobody knows who's on those two teams. Right. It used to be the rivalry formed right there. because Leitner was there for four years and, and Stackhouse was there and Montrose was there and, you know, Cherokee Parks that he took over for <laughs> like, you had four year players and they played against each other twice a year for four years and they went through right. these wars together. And now I couldn't tell you, I don't think I can name other than Baycott. I don't know what a guy on North Carolina. I can't name anybody else either. I, Do you know anybody on Duke? I feel like I should know the one guy, the guy who scores all the time. I'll forget, I forget his name. So right now, I am looking <laughs> at a NBA mock draft for next year and for I'm the sure 2024 I've, season. And I'm sure whoever number one pick is, I have no idea who The number is. one pick is international. The number two pick is also not a college player. A number three pick is a Kentucky player. The number four pick is a G League Ignite. The number five pick goes to Colorado. The number six pick is an international player. I didn't know Deion Sanders was recruiting for the college basketball Yeah, team. he's got, uh, you know, uh, Cody Williams as a corner and a small forward, averaging 19 a game. Good for him. <laughs> Memphis uh, seventh pick is a player from Baylor. The okay. eighth pick is international. The ninth pick is uh, Kyle uh, Filipowski from Duke. That guy. That's the guy, the guy I, you would know. I right. was trying to think well, of. why do you know him? He's actually been there for a couple of years. He's been there for a couple of years, yeah. Um, the 10th pick, G League Ignite. The 11th pick, UConn. Uh, the 12th pick, Kentucky. Is the UConn that the, the tall kid? Yes, uh, uh, Klingon. Yeah, because I saw Hurley on SportsCenter last night advocating that he should be player of the year. Well, listen, you know... He's a guy that won the national championship last year, 
and I don't know how many people. I don't know how many. The, UConn's the number one team in the nation. I don't know how many people can name uh, more than one, maybe two, if you remember Castle. If you, if you can, like, hey, I know Cat, but these names are just they're unrecognizable. Like, so you have an NBA draft first round lottery. And I'm talking the first 10 guys, you've only got two or three actual NCAA players. So to go to what Billis is saying, they got guys who are, are, they got the COVID extra years. You would think that was helping because not. like Baycott, everybody, I think that the casual college basketball fan, maybe not, but intermediate. If you intermediate. like college basketball. Yeah. Maybe you're not a hardcore junkie, but you'll still kind of watch like Duke and North Carolina and Kansas and right. Kentucky. You probably remember Baycott from the national championship game. Now, that was two years ago. That's right. But he entered the draft that year. If you remember, he entered the draft and then decided to go pull his name from the draft. Then last year he got hurt. He kind of had that ankle problem. He struggled a bit. North Carolina never even made the tournament. He was going to transfer this year. He lives like in Virginia. He was going to transfer closer to his home, and he decided to stay at North Carolina. So Baycott might be one guy that is recognizable in the college game. And that's only because he played a national championship game two years ago and was pretty high profile at that point. I think you can make an argument that since that time, he has lost some of his profile but I don't think – I would venture to say that 90% of the listening audience today couldn't name five college basketball players. There's only one of the guys in North Carolina. The only guy recognize. I think anybody can name is Edie. Yeah, the Purdue guy. The, the kid from Purdue who's been there for 10 years. Yeah, the big ugly. Right, but you know him because, number one, he he's is been there for ab 10 years. abnormally huge – and he's been there with a Purdue team that has been very, very good, but very, very disappointing. You probably know him more for his disappointments in the in the tournament than you do. You know, he's just a big guy, though. So you probably, but I'm telling you, I'm looking at these names. I don't know. And I watch a lot of college basketball, too. I got to imagine I watch. <laughs> you watch more than me. More than most people listening. I don't know a lot of these guys. Like, I might remember them, like, when I'm watching the game. Um, man, like DJ Wagner. Okay, I know him. Why? Because he went to Camden. He's projected to be the 27th pick in the draft. That's if he enters the draft. At the end of the draft, right. Uh, he goes to Kentucky. So you know him. Other than that, I mean, Ryan Dunn from Virginia. I vaguely remember him from some of those Virginia teams. Jared McCain from Duke. All right. I, I kind of recognize the name. And I've watched Duke play a handful of times. Kevin McCuller from Kansas. I, I mean, I've and I watch a lot of Big 12 stuff. West Virginia is terrible this year. But it is crazy to me the the, the – um, we were talking about the the All Star game the other day. About the, I heard uh, JJ Redick say today that thirty percent of players in the NBA now are international. Thirty percent. That's correct. Yeah, that's from uh, ESPN stats and information. Think about that. So this goes back to what we were talking about the other day. The way we had the system set up here and what we're doing um, to get them ready for for the next level. 
we are failing these kids. It's, that's <laughs> horrible. It's, I don't understand how people don't haven't taken a step back and looked at it, though, and said, what we're doing right now as a basketball society, we are failing miserably because that number 30%, it is going to continue to rise. So if you are somebody right now and you're saying, this is what I'm doing to get my kid ready to play basketball, you're doing it the wrong way. You've got to start and strip this thing over again. We're getting whipped by the number one pick in the draft right now. I don't know this guy's name, but his I'm going to try to pronounce it. Zachary Rishasher. Rishasher. J.L. Bourne. He is an 18-year-old kid. I'm imagining uh, he is a, an international player. Alex Saar is the projected number two pick in the draft. He is from the Perth Wildcats. Uh, I'm imagining that is also an international team. Uh, yeah. The last year, the number that's, one that's pick the in the draft. That's the guy from New Zealand. Correct. Last year, the number one pick in the draft was obviously Victor Wambignana, a French kid. Yep. I mean... We've got to look at the system here in the States and saying, you know what? I keep doing what they're telling me to do, and it ain't working. The college basketball game is a mess. The pro game is a disaster. And 30% of players in the NBA right now are international. And guess what? That number is going to continue to rise because we are clueless on the lower levels right now. I don't understand how people can't see this. And that's why Adam, I, I read you the quote yesterday, Mike, where Adam Silver said that they believe that the problem with the lower levels is that these guys are not learning how to play team basketball. And that it, overseas, Adam Silver was saying that they focus more on practice than on games. And in America, they focus more on playing in games. Yeah. No, there's no question about it. I mean, look, you look at this mock draft right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six of the top ten are not collegiate players. They are either international players or they're G League Ignite players. I believe, though, you look at some of these G League Ignite players, you are also uh, looking at a situation where some of those are international players as well. So it is a big uphill battle right now for, you know, if you are, you know, kid playing high school band. Well, that's the thing. Uh, the high school basketball has become almost secondary and the kids are playing, you know, AAU and they're thinking they're getting looked at and all this stuff, but they're not getting taught anything mm -hmm. and it's just turned into a mess. So to go back to the question that you asked to kind of start this conversation off, I, I, <laughs> you're almost at the point where like the guys who got the COVID year, the, the extra guys, I would think in my mind that would have helped like raise the level of play because you would have more veteran players that people knew. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that that's the case. It's so weird, though, because like it helped college football. Like there were more good teams in college football the last two years than usual because there were so many men playing the college football game. There were dudes 23, 24, 25 playing for like, well, schools like point, Oklahoma State. I was thinking about this. Um, at what point do we think it's going to be because of the NIL where you can get money, where the players are going to stay in school longer because they're making more money? Well, look at Caitlin Clark. We had a conversation last week. She's an outlier. I'm no, talking about somebody who these guys who leave school early to go to the draft 
and they're second-round picks. Mm-hmm. Or in football, they leave early to go to the draft, and they're a fourth-round fourth round pick, pick or something like that. How many of those guys are saying, you know what, I'll just stay and play my four years. I'll make more money doing that, and then when I get drafted, I'll go to the pros, and I'll get my fourth-round money, which isn't as much as I'm making right now. But I was laughing. I'm like... Some of these guys with the NIL money were just like, if you're not a draftable prospect, what's to say now they're not going to be like, look, we're paying guys. There isn't even eligibility anymore. You could just keep playing for as long as you can make money. Like, if this could be your job, I play college basketball. I get paid. That's the problem. Like, I'm getting paid now. So why do I have my amateur status is gone. So why are you putting a limit on what, how long my amateur status is before you can play four years? Right. That's it. Because you can only be the amateur for you. Well, now I'm not an amateur anymore. I'm getting paid. This is my job. How you tell me I can only work my job for four years? And by the way, some of these guys, they're finding ways to get around the rules, right? The graduate guys, the COVID rule guys. At the end of the day, realistically, some of these guys, they know they're never going to play in the NFL or the NBA or the whatever sport. So why not just, you know... Hang out in college for as long what? as you can get away hey, with it. Hey, Baycott, he's a guy that probably does not have a pro. He entered the draft, was probably told, you are not a pro player. He went back to college, and he's played five years now. At the end of this fifth year, I don't think, you know, there's another guy. Um, that played at West Virginia, then he went to Kentucky. Uh, Shibway. Shibway. Oscar Shibway was a dominant college player. He's in the G League. He probably could have stayed at Kentucky and got paid more than he gets paid in the G League. Probably. But... He got ten day contract with the Pacers, so good for yeah, him. Yeah, I mean he's not going to play in the in the pros. I mean he's not a pro player. They were joking on Friday because the the team that Shibway was on was like dominating the rookies, and they were actually explaining like on the telecast on the on ninety seven three ESPN PJ Colissimo. He's like, well, the reason why Shibway is so good because he played in college basketball for so long. Yeah, but you can have a situation where that guy now says, you know what. I don't need to go and enter the draft early. Now, he did enter the draft early, then pulled his name because he was told, basically, you're not draftable. So he went back and he transferred from West Virginia to Kentucky. He tried to go there to try to expand his game more, and that didn't work out. So now he's just, like, sitting in the G League. But what's to say he couldn't have made more money just playing at Kentucky for the next five years? He could have made stupid money. He really could have. It's a it's a sad situation. Uh Mike... On the text board, 609-403-0973. Got a text that says, Mike, it's an NFL football world and all the other sports are just living in it. To some extent, yes, the NFL is king in terms of viewership. But guess what? The baseball contract is still the king. 100%. You make more money as a high-end baseball player than you do in the NFL. There is no salary cap. You can make whatever money you want. There is no cap to say this is the most you can make. So, yes, it's still an NFL world in terms of viewership. But in terms of dollars, the NBA and Major League Baseball actually are better off than football players are. In the NBA, I can sign my max deal and never play a game because I got hurt and I get all that money. Yep. Not the case in the NFL. You get hurt, they can cut you if you don't have because they're not giving you guaranteed money. Baseball contracts. Holy mackerel. I mean, what did uh what did uh, Otani get this year? What was it? 800 million is the contract, I believe. Yeah, you're not seeing that deal. Um now it was a wonky deal. Yeah, he's getting like delays deferred. like a Bobby Bonilla deal. 
But yeah, I mean, it's an NFL world in terms of, and it's funny, you know, you talk about it's an NFL world. One of the things with the NFL is there is no international players. This is all here, and there is no AAU in football. It is high school football to college football to the pros. They're still taking the same path to get there that they did. Somewhere along the line, baseball and basketball decided that the path needed to change. I think it coincides with people deciding that it was a pretty good business model to create leagues. NFL can't do that. You can't have an AAU football team. I mean, you could, I guess, but you're really asking kids then to do more hitting, more practice, and that's just not the case. But you're also not competing with international players. You're not getting players from all over the globe infiltrating the draft. You get that in baseball. You get that in basketball. You're not getting that in football. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. A couple text messages, 609 403-0973 on the text board. Mike, I feel as though with ESPN having the NBA and hockey games on at night, college basketball takes a back seat to their coverage. A few years, there were big games on every night on ESPN. Now they have a game here and there with big games on all kinds of different networks and streaming services. I don't know, man. There's college basketball on ESPN a lot. They're all there over is. the place. And you can go to ESPN Plus and watch college basketball games. Like you said, yes, they're streaming service. But ESPN, by the way, ESPN just signed a huge deal for the college football playoffs. They just signed a huge deal for all the college sports like that aren't football and basketball. They paid like over $900 million for like the secondary sport. ESPN is essentially running college sports right now. I mean, they are a college sports network, network. with pro games kind of mixed in. But they understand like, hey – we have got to own this because these other streaming services, the Netflix and the – we have to get these products on our platform. So they're going out and getting all the college games that they can. So they still put on a ton of college games. You don't forget you know, how much money they've also invested in the ACC network, the SEC network, Longhorn network. Like all these entities, like you flip the – whether you have whatever – uh, platform you got cable or streaming or dish you still see a gazillion espn channels is because all those channels have college sports on them uh 609-403-0973 mike gino rema says overseas the aau kids practice six days they play one game on the weekend in the usa they practice one day and play 12 games on the weekend uh whoever sent that text in is a thousand percent right it's you know the lack of practice in the sports now it's just we're going to go play 12 games this weekend. It's disgusting. It's horrendous. It's it, And it's every sport. It's so bad. The fundamentals are just completely gone. And you're seeing it now in baseball and in basketball. The international numbers are going up, 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 and the American numbers are dwindling. Yamamoto uh, just got $325 million. I looked it up. And he's not even the biggest name internationally. Uh, Tom from the Villa says, Mike, it starts at the lower levels. My nephew played for rec leagues where the rest were told not to call violations and as little fouls as possible. It's not preparing them for organized school ball. If you get your kid on the travel team, they won't, they don't learn anything. Yeah. I mean, listen, the system's broken, Tom. The system is a complete mess. Um, I've been basically, you know, I've been saying that for a while. You have. But you're now starting to see it because I've been saying it for a while. 
you're now seeing it at the professional levels. Before you were seeing it, and I would say, this is going to catch up to us, that these AAU teams are destroying everything, and now you're starting to see it at the professional level. You're seeing at the pro level that these kids, they don't know anything. They haven't learned anything. They just got by on just sheer talent. And now the professional teams are saying, we don't want these guys. We're going to go overseas and get guys who actually know how to play the game. And you're seeing it in basketball and you're seeing it in baseball. You will not see it in football, essentially, because no other country plays football. And as we said, football is still kind of doing it the way that it's been done. You play at the junior level, you play high school, you play college, you go to the pros. You get your fundamentals taught the way that they were all the way through. It's not, hey, individual, individual, individual. Hey, listen, for every great individual player out there, and there's some awesome ones. Anthony Edwards is a phenomenal young player. Those type of guys are the exceptions. They're not the rules. And you're starting to get a problem where the guy who used to be the secondary player his role is now getting bounced by the international player. So it's interesting. Good text board today. 609-403-0973. Hunter Dickinson's another five-year player. Yeah, he was at Michigan. Then he went to uh, Kansas. And we'll see if Hunter Dickinson uh, has raised his stock in uh, the NBA circles. I would doubt it. He, he's a big guy who doesn't do much more than just be a big guy. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Busy show today. Uh, I want to get into some Eagles free agent options. I was doing some research. Who's available on defense? Who's available on offense? Plus some running backs. The Eagles need a running back. Is a free agent running back a possibility? But when we come back, we're going to stay in this. CBS Sports, they ranked every team's chances of getting LeBron James this offseason. Where did the Sixers land on that list and the other teams? That's next. This is the Sports Bash. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. You have to understand, LeBron is negotiating. He's negotiating for potentially his last contract. He doesn't want to leave the Lakers. He certainly doesn't want to walk away from the $50 million they can pay him next year. And quite frankly, if he opts out of his contract in June, he could sign for three years in an excess of $150 million. And it might take a little negotiation to get there. And so that's part of it. Brian Windhorst on LeBron's future free agency. He could opt out of his deal and then become a free agent. So what are the chances all all 32 teams have of signing them. Sam Quinn over at CBS Sports put out the potential for all 32 teams to land King LeBron James. Now, he's going to be 40 years old, by the way. So I guess one question would be, if you're a Sixer fan, would you be excited if the Sixers signed LeBron James for a three-year deal to close out his career and try to get one more championship as a mercenary with Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid, and LeBron James. Does that interest anybody out there? I would be intrigued. I don't know how well it would go because I don't I don't know what LeBron is going to look like whenever Father Time does eventually catch him. I mean, do we think Father Time is going to catch him? Like, do we think LeBron is going to put himself out there if he is going to be a lesser 
a kind of a shell of himself, a lesser star than he already is. I mean, he is still playing a very high level. You think LeBron looks in the mirror and says, I'm going to play three years, but I know two of those, I'm going to score like 14 a game and kind of be a shell of myself. I don't see LeBron being that kind of guy. Well, I think LeBron, the one thing that is obvious to me is that when they acquired Anthony Davis, it was with the idea that LeBron wasn't going to have to be the front man anymore. He could be the supporting cast member. But Anthony Davis has been injured so much, and the rest of the Lakers teams have been so underwhelming that he has had to be the lead man constantly, to use the Hollywood term. So, you know, maybe LeBron in his mind says, look, the best way for me to stave off the inevitable is to go be on a team where I am not the lead man anymore. Yeah, and that's why I think when we look at this list, it'll be interesting to see. I haven't looked at the whole thing. I literally saw the title, saw all 30, and I just kind of scrolled. I saw, all right. So they broke them down into different groups. Okay. And one of the groups is Bronny would have to insist, but still probably no. All right. So basically, (laughs) yeah, like if my son wants to go play for one of these teams, then I'll do it. But probably not anyway. And those teams are number 30, Charlotte, number 29, Portland, number 28, Washington, number 27, Atlanta, and number 26, Chicago. A little surprised that Chicago basically made the list as a no way, no how. But those were... Five teams that he basically says LeBron would have no interest in. Chicago is a bit of a dumpster fire. The next group, interesting fit, inadequate markets. Okay. Interesting. Number 25, Indiana. Yeah. Number 24, Memphis. Yep. 23, Sacramento. Yeah. I mean, there's kind of out, out there. 22, Minnesota. See, Minnesota's interesting to me because you got Carl Anthony Downs, you got Ant-Man, it's LeBron. It's almost like what the Sixers are, but the Sixers are a bigger market. You're in Minnesota, you got Ant-Man leading the way, you got Carl Anthony Towns, and then you don't have to be LeBron James that leads the team. You no, can you just be, be pick and choose when you, you need point to be guard LeBron. LeBron. You need point point forward LeBron. And Indiana's similar. Like, you got Halliburton, you got Pascal Siakam, and then you throw him in there as that next guy. So that one would be interesting. Also, Sacramento. You got Sabonis. You got Fox. So it says, interesting fit, inadequate market. But I would ask this question. What makes Cleveland any different than Indiana where he played, other than he's from there? Um... I think Indiana is a diehard basketball market. Yeah. So I would wonder, is there a – LeBron's all about legacy, right? He's got that whole legacy obsession that he doesn't always admit to. Like, is he the guy who would say, I, I brought a championship to Cleveland. I won two rings with Miami. I won a ring with the Lakers. Now I'm going to bring the guy who brings the Pacers a championship. Like, would, would that would – that coax him a little bit you know it's a good question on of any of these teams indiana memphis sacramento minnesota none of them have ever won a title so does he say i want to be the guy i'm gonna be the savior same with charlotte by the way really quick can i ask you a question Shaq, you know he just had his jersey retired by three different teams what if lebron says i want to be the guy who has my jersey retired by four teams I don't know if playing somewhere three years is going to get his jersey. If he wins retired. them a title, maybe. But mm. if you go to Indiana and you win them a title, you'll think they're going to make him a darn statue. Maybe I don't. 
maybe, I don't know, three years is a short amount of time to make a historical impact. I mean, for Shaq a wasn't in Miami that long. He was there for what, four years, I think? Let me double check. But Did they retire Shaq's jersey? Yeah. Interesting. All right. The next four teams on the list, at least they have cap space, okay? They can make an offer to LeBron. Detroit, Utah, Toronto, Orlando. Orlando's a good young team. They got a lot of young pieces. The problem is, does LeBron think he can go to a small market like Orlando, and are they too young? They might be too young at this point. Toronto, don't see that. Utah, I like some of the pieces there, but they're not ready with a LeBron. But and... Shaq was in Miami for four years. Okay. And um, he was also in Orlando for four years. I didn't realize that Shaq got his number retired by the, the, the Heat. Lakers, Magic, Heat. And Detroit's very young, a lot of talent, but dumpster right now. Yeah, definitely dumpster. All right. Better than above, worse than below. There's three teams in this market. Okay. These are all interesting teams. These though. are these are fun categories. I got to give the guy credit. Who wrote this? Sam Quinn. Good NBA, for Sam uh, Quinn. NBA writer at CBS Sports. I could have a drink with Sam. Number 17, the Milwaukee Bucks. Ooh. Number 16, the New Orleans Pelicans. No. And number 15, the Houston Rockets. <laughs> so all three of those teams are very interesting. Milwaukee, yeah. obviously, they're having a terrible, you know, I don't want to say terrible season, but their their season has been a disappointment. Coach LeBron? You've got Giannis there. You've got Lillard there. Does LeBron say, dude, you put me on that team and we're going to win a title? That would be one way to look at it. New Orleans, Ingram, Zion. Does LeBron say, look, Zion needs me there to kind of put my foot up his keister and get this thing? Because that team should be better than 33 and 22. That's true. Let's, let's make this happen. So they're interesting. And then Houston's got all those young, totally young kids. And, you know, they've had a, uh, okay year and they got Fred Van Vliet. So maybe LeBron says, look, they just need one more veteran. All right. The next group is two, two teams. And it's entitled, There's Probably Too Much Bad Blood. Okay. Number 14, Boston. Yeah. And number 13, Denver. LeBron is one of the guys who's been vocal about Boston being you know, racist and stuff. He has brought that up in the past, so I could never see that happening at all. And Denver is Denver. You know, it's it, it to me if he if he's not going to Minnesota, he ain't going to Denver. All right, next two, right place, wrong time. So in other words, these are places he would go, just not the right fit right now. Gotcha. Number twelve, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, he would be in the New York market, but the team isn't built up enough for him. Number eleven, the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns are very, very, very heavily committed to three players right now. Yeah, I don't think monetarily he could fit there. That would only be a sign-and-trade, if anything. And number 10, the Clippers. Now, Paul George, they could let him walk. They could. There's been a lot of reports that if Paul George walks, the Sixers would be interested in getting him this offseason. But the Clippers, it says, right place, wrong time. The question with LeBron is, you know, he's already played with Russell Westbrook. He They're getting a new arena next year too. The they Clippers. are getting a new arena. 
you know, would he ever? James Harden's also a free agent. Keep that in mind. He is. That's true. But would he would he stab the Lakers in the back like that? Because he's talked very glowingly of like his relationship with Jeannie Buss and Rob Palinka and all that stuff. So like, would would he do that to them? Don't know. Uh, new arena. If he feels that the Lakers didn't do enough, the problem is as Windhorst said. He doesn't want to give up the $50 million. Right. I mean, he opts out of a contract. You got to opt out thinking you're going to get at least that. Yeah. All right. Number nine. We're going into the top ten now. Number nine. Small market sleepers. The okay. San Antonio Spurs and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, so the the idea being Wembayama and LeBron together. Yep. That would be interesting. Um, if, if you're OKC, you would you would give LeBron a piece of ownership if you can get in the cut out there. Because well, I mean that team right now, Oklahoma City is a legit title contender. Now they are 37 and 17, second seed in the West. I mean, you can make a strong argument that Oklahoma City says we don't need to pay LeBron. No, they don't at all. And Shea Gilgis Alexander, he might win the MVP this year. And they can pay him, by the way. They have the cap space. They All have right. the space. Number seven and six. This group is called the Best Friends Club. Okay. Number seven, the Dallas Mavericks. And number six, the Golden State Warriors. So James likes Luka yep. playing with those two, both Nike guys. And then, of course, you would have a Curry and James combination in Golden State. And this is very LeBron-ish, though. LeBron has shown in the past that he will go to somebody else. That's correct. He went to Miami instead of saying, no, 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 no. I'm not uprooting my life to go play with you. you got to come play with me. LeBron has always viewed himself as kind of, I'll go play with you. I don't care if I'm a mercenary going around the league to help everybody win championships. True. So Golden State would be interesting, number six. Dallas, number seven, you wonder how the ownership change out there factors into that. Because, you know, Dallas would be a place, if you're a Mark Cuban guy, you want to play for Mark Cuban. He's now not the owner of the team any longer. He's a minority owner now. He's he's shifting into a new role in the next couple years. So, you know, would... Is LeBron interested in playing for an unknown entity? All right, top five. Have not mentioned the Sixers yet, by the way. No, you haven't. Number five, I'm not flirting, you're flirting. That's the title of these of this one. Sounds like a story of my dating life. There you go. So you should be very familiar with this number five. The New York Knicks. Oh, yeah. So, Madison Square Garden. New York Knicks are the guy who comments on every pretty girl's Instagram post. Probably, if you're going to be LeBron and you're going to go to the Knicks, this would be the time. This is it, right here. Jalen Brunson. They have a team that is probably that one guy away. Villanova plus LeBron. Could happen. And Bronny. And Bronny, right. Forget him. (laughs) He can sit on the bench. All right. Number four. This one is called I'm Coming Home. Number four, the Miami Heat. Oh. And number three, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland is so fascinating because 
Cleveland has a ton of young pieces. Donovan Mitchell and um, Jared Allen and all those. Evan Mobley, right? So you're looking at them, you're like, what if LeBron said, let's do it a third time? Like this right now, Cleveland is the two seed in the East. Right. If they're the two seed and they get to an NBA Eastern Conference final and get knocked out, does LeBron say, I'm going to come home and be the guy that gets him over the top again. Does everybody play that coming home song again like 200 times a day? Sure. Okay. You remember that when he went back to Cleveland to play I'm Coming Home? The Diddy song. Not really. I remember that clearly. I felt like ESPN Radio played it all the time. So that's four and three. There's only two teams left. There is only two teams left. One is entitled, They Have Everything... LeBron needs number two, the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they're a little high on the list, but go on. Let me hear this description. And number one, the favorite, the L.A. Lakers. So he is saying that the Lakers are the favorite to retain LeBron. But if he becomes a free agent, that the Sixers are the team that makes the most sense. Are we ready to go through a summer where LeBron to the Sixers again takes over because a couple of years ago that was a buzz and a lot of people didn't believe it. And I said, I do believe it. But guess what? For the same reasons I believed it then, I think make even more sense now. I think definitely makes way more sense now. And Brian Windhorst said that he is not closing the door on LeBron leaving the Lakers. I think that he hasn't closed the door on potentially going somewhere else as part of that negotiation strategy. I do think the discussions that took place between the Lakers and Warriors should be remembered and are relevant. I don't think that's the direction he's going to go. But let's see how this season ends for both of those teams. And I'm not going to close any doors because he's not either. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. So you heard the list, the Sixers, the highest team on the list that aren't the Lakers. How many people out there would want LeBron to play in Philly and actually think, you know what? It makes more sense now than ever before. 609-403-0973. I'll give you the reasons why the CBS Sports NBA writer thinks LeBron to the Sixers makes the most sense out of every team in the NBA other than the Lakers. That's coming up on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. It's with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, welcome back. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. So CBS Sports ranked all 30 NBA teams. Uh, what teams have the best shot to land LeBron if he becomes a free agent. They have the Sixers as number two behind just the Lakers if he stays there. Reason why is that basically they've got Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, both in place, and that LeBron could fit in because they have the cap space, they have the draft capital, they have the money, and that basically it would be a best chance for him to win. What do you guys think? 609-403-0973. LeBron has set himself up after basketball. He's not leaving L.A. Like, come on. Hey, this don't shoot the messenger here, man. Just giving you the information. That's all. 609-403-0973. Mike LeBron would never play for the Bulls. That's Jordan's team in the city. The fans would never accept him. 
Oh, and said he went to Kobe's team in City? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> That's probably the worst reasoning ever. He went to Kobe's town. And I can't... I said this before. I think the LeBron tenure in L.A. has kind of fallen flat. Like, I don't know that they have accepted him or, or what. It's a weird one. Frank Close. City. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. All right, 3 o'clock on a Tuesday, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Phillies baseball is kind of back. You know, full squad workouts got underway this weekend. The first games will be this Saturday. And, of course, we'll have full coverage all year long for the Phillies. The Phillies mailbag is back with Frank Close from 97.3ESPN.com. His first edition of the mailbag is up right now at 973ESPN.com. We're about to dive into the mailbag question and other Phillies topics now with Frank Close, our 973ESPN.com Phillies insider, who's back for another season of Phillies baseball. And Frank, you know, the last two years, this has been a playoff team come up short. Is this team here the best team that they have had, the best shot they have? Is this the team right now? I think so. Compared to last year when the players were not healthy, Bryce Harper did not open the season healthy. Ranger Suarez did not open the season healthy. And they still had to piece together some parts along the way. I, I feel like in terms of a full roster, this is the most complete it is at opening day perhaps in a while. Now, that's not saying that there aren't any holes. There's There still are some. And every Major League Baseball roster is going to have some holes. But it really does feel like a nicely rounded team and uh, pitching staff has been getting some good reviews nationally. Of course, the offense is, is the Phillies have spent a lot of money on the offense and it includes some former MVPs in the mix. So uh, you, you have a really good roster here. So if they're going to get it done, it should be really soon in this window to win. All right, so a lot of questions in the mailbag uh, to get us kicked off for the 2024 season. There's so many things that we want to talk about. So we'll get the questions from the people here in just a little bit, but I want to get a couple thoughts from you first. One, Whit Merrifield was signed on Friday, officially yesterday. Uh, what does his impact bring to this team? How does he fit in? How do they use him in your mind? I think he's the piece that they really wish they had in the playoffs. When you look back last year, when Nick Castellanos would go cold, when JT Romuto would go cold, there just wasn't really another right-handed bat that could could make some contact for them. And so Merrifield probably is that right-handed bat. I think if the Phillies had went Merrifield at the trade deadline last year, they would have fared much, much, much better in the playoffs. So that's that's an important thing, that you're going to have that extra right-handed bat to go with, with some of the big names. Again, Turner will be at the top. Alec Bohm, certainly another one of the right-handed bats there, but it seemed like they were just one short last October. And so I think that's the big thing there. And the next, the nice part about this too is I think that going into this year, Kyle Schwarber is locked in as your designated hitter, period. I think they would love to, to leave his glove in the dugout and just let him hit. And if they, for them to do that, they need a player that's pretty versatile. Uh, that can play around the diamond. Now, I, I still think that he's going to get a lot of at-bats in left field, kind of starting in left field. But he does give the Phillies the opportunity to play him at second base 
if Bryson Stott needs a day off, I'm sure Bryson Stott's days off will come against tough lefties. That you know, you'll usually try to play the matchups on that, and so you want a nice right-handed bat at second base. They will have it with that, and they seem to hint that maybe he could play some other positions. They're probably thinking third base, if I had to guess, would be another place he could spell somebody. But you know, I think it's Alex Alec Boom's job. By 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 no means am I suggesting it's not, but. I can see him moving him around to get other guys at bats too in left field, depending on who's filling out this roster. Uh, yeah, there's a lot uh, here. Let's go to Bohm real fast. He just won that arbitration case, had a solid year last year. But some people say, look, is this the best you're going to get? A guy who's hitting about 270, 20 home runs. He did have 97 ribbies. He did have a big year with runners in scoring position. Where do you think Bohm starts the year in the lineup? Back where he started at the bottom of the lineup or back where he ended in the middle of the lineup? I think towards the bottom, I think the veterans are going to get the first look in the middle of the lineup. I, I still think JT Romuto, Nick Castellanos, you're going to see them in the middle. And then if they falter or when they have days off, I mean, Alec Bohm is a prime candidate to, to move up in the lineup. You know, I think we got used to seeing that same lineup every day when we were watching all those playoff games. But especially early on, you're going to see a lot of mixing and matching. You're going to remember that JT Romuto is going to be out of the lineup one to two times a week. So those are opportunities for Alec Bohm to move up. So I think if everybody is playing, if you're talking opening day when everybody gets a shot, I think Alec Bohm will probably be hitting sixth or seventh, uh, depending on how things uh, uh, lay. But I, I see him probably playing towards the middle of the lineup a lot because Nick Castellanos will need his day off, JT, of course. And, and you know, whenever somebody gets a day off, you got to retool things. So I, I can see him getting plenty of action in the middle still. So a lot of people went up in arms yesterday I saw on social media when um, Rob Thompson mentioned, you know, hey, he can, uh, if if uh, Schwarber needs a day off, he can hit in the leadoff spot. Um, and then some of the, one of the reporters said, oh, wait, so does that mean Schwarber's hitting leadoff? And then Rob Thompson said, well, we've only been here one day. I don't really know. But does he really know what he's going to do at the top of the lineup? I think it's pretty certain that Kyle Schwarber will lead off. That, If you look back the last couple of years, the Philly success has come when he's done so. It's something we've talked about a lot, Mike. And, you know, a lot of times I said I, I, I don't necessarily understand it. I was kind of against it last year, especially after they added a top-of-the-lineup guy in Trey Turner last year. I thought they didn't need to do it. But, you know what, when they, when they, when they made that move, they started winning. So it's one of those things where, you know what, I might not agree for, agree to it for many reasons or agree, agree it's a good idea for many reasons, but the biggest one being that if he walks, he's going to get clogged up on the base pass with, with fast guys behind him. But you can't argue with winning. So I think that that's, that's going to be the driving factor here. The Phillies won with him leading off, and I don't think that <laughs> I, I don't think that he's going to challenge him for the lead, leadoff spot, but I think he is right in saying that, yes, that's somebody you don't feel terrible about batting leadoff if Kyle Schwarber has a day off. I think that that's his little Freudian slip that, that yes, Kyle Schwarber is probably the leadoff hitter. Yeah, I liked his uh, his retort there. It's only the first day. How am I supposed to know? I, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure all offseason he didn't think about yeah, it one Every time. major league manager probably sits there playing with lineups the entire offseason, especially the way last year ended. I could see him just every single day in a little notebook just keep making lineups. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, Frank Close, let's dive into 
the mailbag questions for episode number one of the Phillies mailbag for the 2024 season and take a look at what some of the big questions are from Phillies fans out there. And obviously, uh, every Tuesday, Frank will be back with the mailbag so you can always get your questions in uh, for the Phillies mailbag. And we'll pick a couple of them each week here on the Sports Bash. Uh, Rich wants to know, with Whit Merrifield here, who suffers playing time the most? This is interesting because he threw a bunch of bench guys out there. I also think you could throw in regular guys, too. He said Sosa, Pache, somebody else. But, okay, you know, does that mean Stott loses playing time? Marsh loses playing time? Bohm, Rojas? Uh, what do you think? Well, I'm not sure that they, we'd look at it and them losing play, uh, playing time. I think a matter, it's, it's an issue where – they need more days off. Uh, <laughs> so I thought last year they could have used some more days off. If you're healthier and you're fuller, it's it's easier to take those days off. But I, I think I think he was thinking more in terms of the bench players and thinking of Murrayfield as a bench player. I kind of have him as somebody playing most of the time, even though uh, I don't think that they're careful not to say that he fits in any one spot that would seem to suggest somebody else was out at this point. But, um, you know, Rodolfo Castro, I think that's the obvious one that won't be on the bench. You know, the Phillies – Hung on to him uh, almost to a fault last year. Batted just 100 in his 30 at-bats with the Phillies, and they they wouldn't even use him towards the end of the season. So I think he's ticketed for AAA. That's who he replaces on the roster of the ones that were there. And, you know, if you, you think about who's likely to be on the bench, um, Garrett Stubbs, of course, is going to be your backup catcher. I think Edmundo Sosa is also a lock. You know, he's the one that can play shortstop nicely for you. And, some second base too, but now they have a couple people who can play second base. It's nice if Edmundo Sosa is at the backup at all the positions. Uh, but you know, I think they're going to need one left-handed bat on that bench. And right now the options on the roster are Jake Cave, Cody Clemens, and Derek Hall. Take your pick. You know, last year we saw each of them for, for a certain uh, period of time. And I'm not sure where they're going to go with that, but they need one left-handed bat. And then behind that, I think this is this is the one roster spot that 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 kind of this kind of challenges is either Christian Pache or Johan Rojas. And so I think it's basically going to come down to the question: Do they really want Johan Rojas at AAA getting at bats? I, they've said some things to suggest that maybe that would be a good idea. Uh, I don't know; they've made any decisions yet. Uh, but Christian Pache and 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 Johan Rojas, they kind of profile similarly as right-handed bats with some speed and some some good defense. I mean, I think the speed and defense, Ro- Rojas has an edge over Pache, but if he's going to work on his bat at AAA, then there's a spot for Pache. So I, I don't see them carrying both of those players. Uh, so the Merrifield addition certainly makes it a lot more difficult for the Phillies to have Pache and Rojas. And we'll see how they play it. And the Phillies have seemed to to err on saving the one that they can't option to AAA. So if, if Pache was to come off the roster, he would have to be traded or released. And so I think they would like to hold on to him. And if they if they do, especially if they don't like what they see from Rojas's bat this spring, and that's why we have spring training to see what, what's, what he's got this year, uh, they have the option to send him to AAA, and Pache can stick around a little bit more. So, but... But I, I think that a lot the, the bench will be a lot of what you saw last year with Merrifield there instead of Castro, and then pick pick one of those left-handed bats. Uh, by the way, David Dahl signed to a minor league deal. He looked really nice in 2019 and, and sort of fell off the face of the earth after that. You know, maybe he could push one of these guys. But, I mean, you know, those left-handed bats, we've seen them a lot. I mean, uh, I like Cody Clemens of the three, given his positional versatility. But, you know, uh, Jake Cave and and – Clemens kind of hit similarly. 
I, I, I think they're the types that you can only pick one of those and and can only pick one of the right-handed center fielders. I think that's what this does to the roster. Seems like they got a lot of guys now with positional versatility that play. You know, Merrifield can play all over. Clemens, if he makes it, he can play all over. You got a guy like Cave who can play all three outfields, but also plays first base. So uh, it seems that a guy like Hall would be a long shot. Maybe I don't know Pache. I mean, is he a guy who's in some trouble? I, I think so, but it, it really just comes down to whether or not they want to see Rojas at AAA. They want to see Rojas at AAA. Well, then, then he makes the team, and then maybe they see what they can do to move on from him. But uh, I think they're gonna. I think unlike the past, where it seemed to feel like they had forever to get it together, and the Fed Phillies took till June to start winning. I think I think they want to start winning sooner. So I wouldn't be shocked if some of the roster decisions are are more geared towards that this this spring. All right, Frank Close, ninety-seven three Second question in the mailbag is from Dave. He wants to know if Mick Abel will make the starting rotation or is he going to be stashed for another year to develop? There's a lot of uh, peels in the onion we can go off of this question. You know, you got Abel, you got McGarry. Are there any of the young pitching arms that will be a factor uh, in the rotation or the bullpen this year? Well, I think Abel and others, like you mentioned, like McGarry, I I don't think there's anybody that's ready to just come in and and claim a job where it feels like they're getting stashed for later. I I, I, you know, looking at Abel, he's just 22 years old. He's he's not not major league ready from what we saw at the end of last year, but you know he could be soon. Uh, you know, I think there's there's no rush to get him to the major leagues. Uh, at least for now, the Phillies have five starters that that are healthy. Uh, knock on wood, right? But uh, you know, I think I think someone like Mick Abel, he's going to write his own ticket to the major leagues. Either he, he dazzles this spring and is in the rotation right away. I think that's unlikely. It's not un- impossible. But I, I think he's going to probably go down to AAA and, and show that it's either time to come up and force his way in or, you know, the situation sometimes dictate you need an arm, whether it's a it's a rain rain out that requires a spot starter or somebody gets hurt or something of the sort. Uh, he can pitch himself to be in a good position to come up. But, you know, I think that's I, the thing that, that concerns me on the Phillies the most perhaps is the lack of depth in the starting rotation. And it would be really, really nice for the Phillies if, if Mick Abel was – was at AAA and ready to step in whenever necessary. But, you know, this is the kind of thing where I think, uh, you know, they added some, some veteran type depth arms that, that maybe could start. You know, I think that's an indication that, you know, they might need to grab somebody ahead of, of Abel if he's not ready, but it'd be really nice to see if, uh, he kind of comes into form. I think, I think they want to see a bigger body of work at AAA first, though. All right, uh, yeah, and he would be obviously be, uh, you know, you got Painter who's not available for the rest of the year. You would imagine that he's not in the factor. You got McGarry. Any other young arms other than those two that people should keep an eye on? Not necessarily this spring. I, I think most of their depth is further down. I mean, you know, someone could always surprise you, you know. Um, last year I thought Andrew Baker was going to be somebody that would be interesting for the Phillies, and he, he you know, he kind of fell apart, unfortunately. So, um, but you never know. Somebody could really, uh, someone really could surprise you. But I think most of the uh, most of the depth that that they would count on sooner than later are are a little bit further out. So I, I don't see anybody kind of uh, surprising you uh, just yet. I mean, McGarry and Abel, those are the two that are the closest to, to major league ready, perhaps. So they're the ones you'll probably hear about first. All right, let's uh, dive deeper into the mailbag here and uh, see what the ceiling is. Will wants to know. All right. The Dodgers went out and spent a ton of money. The Braves, you've got the Astros with that bullpen now. So, 
what's the overall ceiling for this Phillies team? They didn't basically they had it with Merrifield, and that's it. This team is almost a carbon copy of last year's team. So what's their ceiling? Well, the difference, again, as I was saying a little while ago, they don't have those big injuries heading into the season. So they seem like they're more well-rounded. And, and you know, Merrifield's certainly a complimentary piece that makes them feel much more well-rounded. But, you know, I, I think if you look around the league, and, and I spent some time looking through the different power rankings that are out there, people have the Phillies in the top, top five or six uh, pretty much almost everywhere. You know, CBS has them fifth. ESPN has the Phillies sixth. So does the Athletic. USA Today had the Phillies fourth. But one one common theme to all of them that is in the National League, they are behind the Braves and the Dodgers, right? So the Braves coming back, you know, they've got all that young talent. Um, they're, they're kind of their Achilles heel last year was that starting rotation, the lack of depth. You know, they moved on from some of those those arms that the Phillies saw in the playoffs that were originally supposed to be the the core of that that rotation, the Kyle Wrights of the world. And um, they're going. They're, they're taking a big, big chance on Chris Sale. I mean, Chris Sale, someone who battled injuries, uh, he could, he could look brilliant, and the Braves could look brilliant for adding him. Or if he gets hurt again, well, then they're, they're still a little stuck. And the Dodgers, they had a ton of talent, even, even as they didn't win last year, and uh, they added to that a billion dollars worth of free agent signings in Yamamoto and Otani. So how can you not pick the Dodgers to be one of the top couple? in the national league. So, I mean, I think the Phillies are, are kind of where they were last year. They're, the Braves are probably still a tick ahead. And I, I think it'll be like last year where you just prime yourself for the playoffs and try to have a roster that will perform well. Once you get to that playoff scene and the top half of your roster is doing all the playing and your starters are playing every day. So, you know, uh, it's a, but it's a long season and, I would certainly agree with these power rankings. The Phillies are probably one of the top five or six teams in baseball and probably the third in the National League at this point. Okay, so uh, obviously high expectations again. The ceiling, uh, I guess, Super Bowl, uh, excuse me, World Series of bust. because I'll ask you this, Frank. If this core group, they ran it back essentially. You know, Castellanos, they talked about it. They ran it back. If they don't win a World Series with this group, is this the last year of this group together? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. You know, you're getting really close to the, you're getting really close to the point where they're beyond their primes, and they've they've, they've got a lot of money tied up in a lot of these players. And so, if, if these 11 year commitments or 10 year commitments, 13 year commitments, as they've given some, you know, they're, they're going to be around, but you got to win in their prime. So, I think that's why the Phillies, you know, Scott Lauber, you know, good friend of the show, just just reported earlier today that perhaps the Phillies were the biggest bidder, money wise for for Yamamoto this offseason uh something I recommend you check out so they're, they're willing to to try to get them over the hump when there's an opportunity so I you know I think the Phillies are are still going to be opportunistic if if any of these leftover starters or like the, the Jordan Montgomery's or uh you know maybe to a less extent um, uh, a Snell I don't, I don't think that Snell is the same uh I think they'd be more interested in Montgomery but you know I think they're trying to take advantage of the opportunities that might be there use their financial wherewithal to, to to make a difference and just get over the hump you know and if it's not now it might be at the trade deadline so so you think that uh another move could potentially be there if it makes if it's at the right price yeah i, I think that like what happened with merrifield the phillies sat back knowing there were a bunch of right-handed bats out there and they ended up in the right place at the right time where merrifield wasn't getting the long-term commitments he wanted and he said you know what i'm going to go try to win and uh, his comments were very positive of Philly. He says, hey, look, yeah, I wanted to be a starting second baseman. I wanted the multi-year deal, but you know what? I want to win. I've done all these other things in my career. Time to win. And I think the Phillies are also 
are of that mindset. It's time to win. So uh, I think they're going to do everything they possibly can first to uh, to maybe not spend stupid money, but <laughs> some smart money at this point uh, to you know to take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves and, and try to get them back where they were. All right, uh, Frank Close is back for another year of Phillies baseball, and of course the Phillies open up the spring this weekend, and then the regular season on March the twenty ninth, twenty eighth against the Atlanta Braves. It's in Philly, so it's a Philly opener this year. So, uh, and of course, we'll be counting down the day to that, and we might have something big on that day to tell you guys about. So keep listening for that, Frank. When are you heading down to Clearwater? A week week from Thursday. Can't happen fast enough. Week from Thursday. All right. Frank will be down there. We'll have live reports from Clearwater with the Phillies as they get ready to uh, embark on maybe the last time you see this Harper, Schwarber, Real Muto, Castellanos, I mean, Turner. I don't have to say they're going to get rid of Harper, Turner, but some of those guys might have to start getting uh, paired off, uh, and they might have to go in a different direction. We'll see, though. They're talking about they signed Nola. Talk about extending Wheeler. Talk about extending Harper. So that story, the Harper thing is bonkers to me that, you know, oh, I want to play until I'm 45 years old. (laughs) Uh, We'll see how that all ends up going. But uh, we'll keep our eye on all of that. And, of course, uh, that's all right here with the Phillies mailbag with Frank Close here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Frank, thanks, man. Thanks, Mike. All right, Frank's back for another season. His Phillies mailbag is over at 97.3 ESPN. In the Sports Bash this hour, the Phillies mailbag is brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 or visit them online at broadleys.net. Mike Gill in the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. When we come back, it's our Flyers insider, Kevin Durso, with the latest on the orange and black after the stadium series game, where do they sit and what's next? That's next here on the Sports Bash. We have the per sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 328 on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. No flyers tonight, but they're back tomorrow taking on the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Flyers lose the stadium series game 6-3 on Saturday. So where is this team now? That was kind of a swing game. They could have been up nine on Jersey. And after that game, you know, Jersey wins 6-3. It could have been a nine-point advantage in the Metro. And, of course, uh, with the loss, that kind of changes the dynamics of things, Kevin. Durso, our Flyers insider from 97.3 ESPN.com, was at the stadium series in Jersey, giving us a little look back at that and what's ahead for the Flyers is they've had a little hiatus since that night, and now they stand five points ahead of the Devils instead of the nine points they could have been after that one. But first, Kevin, give us a little uh, uh, eyes and ears from MetLife Stadium. It had to be a, it looked like a great scene on television. Yeah, it was. It's definitely an atmosphere. These games always are. Uh, the only other one of these that I can you know that I was able to cover previously was the one in Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. Much better weather conditions for this one. Clear conditions. The ice was in good shape, all things considered. If nothing Wait a else, you the, were in Pittsburgh, weren't you? No, I was not. You were in Heinz Field? No, I didn't go to that one. I could have sworn you were there. 
I feel like between the periods we were like doing like uh that was that was the one in Philly. I didn't go to the one at Lincoln Financial Field. Did I? No, you you did. Yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember being at the one at Lincoln. I remember being at the one at Pittsburgh. I don't remember being at the one at the Lincoln. I do remember well, being at the def- one. I remember being at uh, Citizens Bank Park. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the only reason I remember you being there is because you asked me between periods about um, Wayne Simmons' last game, and that was the last game that Wayne Simmons didn't end up, end up playing as a flyer in Man, 19. I yes. don't remember being there. I do remember sitting with you between the periods doing hits, but I don't remember being yes. at that game. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. It's um, all it was much, in, in terms of – in, in terms of this game, it was better weather conditions because it was raining during that game in Philly, and it was just an absolute mess by the time the game was over. The ice conditions weren't great. It was really choppy kind of and things like that. So if nothing else, the temperature at this one probably got in the way a little bit. It was very it was very cold by the end of the night. The temperature at puck drop was 30 degrees. It felt probably like more of the mid-20s at that point already. By the end of the game, it was probably low 20s as a high temperature with um, – with wind chills in the teens potentially. So that creates buildup of snow on the ice that isn't going anywhere. Sometimes indoors it has a kind of has a way of kind of working itself out and balancing out. So it's not as, you know, so it doesn't slow down the play as much. It definitely probably played a factor here, especially when you're a team that wants to move as effectively as the flyers do and try to play with speed. And when you're desperate in the third period, when you're trailing as well, but all in all, I mean, they, they got the crowd that they wanted in there for sure. It was a little strange with the crowd situation because there was an entire kind of section beyond the one end zone uh, closest to where I was sitting anyway that was completely sectioned off due to the stage for the Jonas Brothers concert and all that type of stuff like that. They left that stuff up throughout the course of the game because they performed again during one of the intermissions. So there was a big chunk of seats that were not used for Saturday's game that were for Sunday, actually. Um, so that was a little unique, but all in all definitely seemed like a good crowd probably i would say safely a 50 50 crowd all things considered probably split between flyers and devils what was the split like there it was hard to tell on tv uh because i gotta be honest with yeah. you on tv the devil's jerseys looked orange so at first when i turned the game on <laughs> it almost looked like the devils were the fly it looked like they had orange jerseys on because it was such a red yeah, and and I actually thought, you know, because sometimes with these with the jerseys that they use for this, we're obviously much further away from the action than we normally are to cover one of these. During warmups, I thought it's going to be real. It looks like it's going to be really easy to tell which players are on the Devils because the black on the red was it stood out in warmups to me. And actually, it was tougher. I actually found it easier to track the orange numbers on the back of the white jerseys that the Flyers were wearing more than the Devils ones. You know, at least you know, lucky for us, we had tons of monitors in the press box obviously to keep us kind of up to speed on what was going on but to try to watch it from as far away as we were it was a little bit of a challenge all right uh, so it could have been up nine and said they're up five kind of give us you know as 56 games in two up on the devils in terms of games played uh after that game what is the indication of you of where this team kind of is? Because I think, you know, at the beginning of the year, in fact, during the broadcast, the ESPN bet stats had the Devils having a better shot to win the Stanley Cup than the Flyers do. So it kind of tells you that the odds makers think the Devils are a better team than the Flyers. You saw the game. So from here to the end, where are these two teams kind of – because they're battling for that third spot right now. Yeah, they are, and – 
these are probably the two teams that have the best shot of taking that final spot. I, I'm starting to think more and more that some of the others that you've seen trailing both of them are not as big a threat as as these two are. The Islanders are still kind of struggling to capture some momentum. The Penguins aren't really hanging in there as much. The Capitals aren't hanging in there as much. There's a wider gap, and that's tougher to make up as there's fewer games to play. So these two really are it. It's a really tough game to evaluate because it's so wide open. There's virtually no defensive structure to these games. It's a different experience from a goaltending standpoint because there's just it's not your usual experience for those for, for players. It's just not the same atmosphere. So sometimes sometimes a game like this looks like it did. It ends up being a six three game. The game on Sunday afternoon between the Rangers and the Islanders ended up being a six five game in overtime with two of the premier goalies in the sport playing in it. So it's not really a good indicator of things. What I'm more curious about is the response to that game. Yeah, they had a chance to really put their staple on the standings and things like that. But of course, but with it being an atypical setting, I understand how it wasn't the smoothest game and that you aren't able to stick to kind of everything that you're used to. I want to see them get back to the structure that we've seen them have throughout most of the year against a team like Chicago. That will tell me more than the just the overall one game in a vacuum kind of thing like this game has to be viewed in a vacuum because of the way that it is because it's such a different experience than every other game that they'll play this season but it doesn't take away from the fact that yes it was definitely a missed opportunity to expand the lead in the standings and really kind of cement this thing i mean i'll i'll let you know right now if they would have won that game in regulation and gone up nine i probably would have been sitting here telling you that I don't see a way they don't make the playoffs at that point. I would have said that it would have cemented it probably. For yeah, me. I mean, nine points is a big difference from five. That tells you the swing in that game there. I mean, it was really big uh, for the Flyers to try to get that game if they could have figured it out. Now, wild card, they would be the wild card team right now tied with Tampa Bay. So they do have a little bit of a fallback, but there's much more of a battle for the wild card than there is in the Metro. They have a five-point advantage in the Metro. They would be tied uh, for the top spot in the wild card. So, uh, they do have some urgency here over these last, you know, 25 games. Absolutely. And, and it's not an easy schedule either. We talked about that before as well, where they've got some really tough games coming up and not to look beyond the game they play against Chicago. That's one of the bottom beaters of the league. But when you have to play the Rangers, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's clinging to any playoff life that they have at this point. So they're going to be desperate for points. Tampa Bay is, as you mentioned, one of the wild card teams. So they're right in the mix. And then you get into this gauntlet of March that has a bunch of matchups with pretty solidified playoff teams at this point. When you think about Florida, Toronto, Boston, they're going to play all those teams multiple times. And that really is going to show whether or not they belong in this conversation or not. And, and oh, by the way, throw in the fact that the trade deadline hits right in the middle of all of this. So, you know, that that's two weeks from Friday. So there's a lot of things that are kind of going on in their world right now. And this is kind of where you separate the contenders for playoff position from the pretenders at this point, that they've they've definitely been in the picture all year. So it's not like they don't belong here, but they'll prove that they belong here by how they respond to kind of moving forward for the rest of this month. The rest of this month for them is as light of a schedule as they're going to see until the end of the regular season. The, the amount of time that they have between between Saturday stadium series game, this game coming up on Wednesday night. That they will not have another three-day break for the rest of the season. Two-day breaks are hard to come by like they will have between Wednesday and Saturday when they play the Rangers. So take an opportunity 
be here to rest up and have all the energy you need to push hard for a playoff spot because if that's the end goal here, this is an opportunity to, again, recharge kind of like you did at the All-Star break and you came out playing well after that. And this is your chance to do the same thing again and continue to try to solidify your place in the standings. All right. Uh, we're talking with Kevin Durso, our Flyers Insider, 97.3 ESPN.com. He's fresh off the stadium series game tomorrow night, Blackhawks, Rangers, and then the Penguins uh, for the weekend here. But you mentioned the trade deadline. Scott Lawton, what do we know uh, about what that might look like and what the Flyers might be looking in return? Because some people would say, you're a playoff team. Why would you even be thinking about a guy like Lawton? So where does that stand in your mind? So I think to kind of take your words there and kind of twist them a little bit in terms of the way that they're thinking, they're not looking to do anything with Scott Lawton. That's the way they feel. We don't have to do anything, but we have to listen if other teams are prepared to come to the table with substantial offers. That's the way that they view this right now is that they don't have to make any move right now being in a playoff position and having players that they find valuable to this whole operation and the locker room in general from just a just from an atmosphere standpoint from from the way that this team has some vibes built around it. So they don't feel like they have to do anything, but they feel like they owe it to themselves in this rebuild to listen on offers because it, to, my, to me, Scott Lawton is worth a first round pick given what the market has shown for some other trades. And as a result of that, if somebody does come to the table and offer you a first round pick for Scott Lawton, I think you're listening pretty, you know, I think you're listening with with a lot of interest and you have to strongly consider that possibility. But if no one's willing to meet a high demand for for this type of player for somebody who's part of your leadership group then you can just hang on to him there's nothing that is is really preventing you from doing that either so that's that's kind of a unique situation for them to be in is that they've been in situations in years past at the deadline where they have guys that everybody knows they want to move they're not a playoff team they have no leverage. They kind of just have to take what they can get. They have a lot of leverage in these situations, and there's really no pressure for them to do anything because of the fact that they feel like these players have helped them get to where they are so far and would be more than okay with letting it ride in that sense. But you have to listen. All right. So they want to listen. But they don't want to move anybody. But I got to ask about the goaltending situation. Are they watching what's going on there and saying, if we do want to be a playoff team, we might have to do something there where they say, hey, let the kid play, see what happens. I think more the latter and and not just in terms of letting Sam Harrison play, but I think they also look into some of the goalies in their pipeline and wonder if there's a possibility that any of them at least join the professional ranks before the end of the year that keep that moving along. A, a name to definitely watch over the next several weeks and, and throughout the course of the offseason, if it doesn't happen sooner than that, is Alexei Kolosov, who's playing in the KHL right now, has really good numbers, is 21 years old and, and appears to be ready to come over and start playing professionally in North America really as soon as possible. And his team is going to the KHL playoffs right now, so that will be on hold for the time being. But there's an opportunity there that maybe he tries to come over here as soon as that is up. And he's not he doesn't have a game to play in the KHL anymore, and he tries to join the AHL and see if that builds into anything moving down the road. For right now, they're going to probably let it ride with Sam Harrison as the number one and Cal Peterson as the backup. And... They, this kind of works for now because they don't have to play Cal Peterson a whole lot. The next, you know, they they did they got him a start earlier in the month to kind of break up when Harrison was getting some starts because there was a lot of games in the early part of the return from the All Star break, 
they haven't really faced that back-to-back situation. They will this weekend when they play the Rangers in Pittsburgh. I would strongly suggest at this point that Arison's probably getting the start on Saturday against the Rangers, the better team of the two. And then Peterson would probably go on Sunday against the Penguins. But that's a very critical game to this as well. And you're putting it on a goalie like Cal Peterson, who feels like, you know, felt like a throw in on the trade that was made, hasn't really played at this level all year, has kind of been an insurance policy for the lingering possibility that Carter Hart wasn't around. And now you're going to have to rely on him in critical games that are going to have a direct impact on the playoff race. So I understand why the question is being asked, and I understand why it's very relevant to the situation, but I don't think they're anxious to do anything to add somebody and have to trade away something significant from the future to do it just for one playoff run. All right. Uh, I guess uh, if, you know, we talked about they don't want to move Lawton, is there somebody else on the roster that they will get a lot of calls for? Yeah, Sean Walker for sure. And it's already started, to be honest. It's, 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 this is going to, and it's just going to continue until the trade deadline, until there's a decision made. Walker's in a much more common situation for the trade deadline than Lawton is. You don't tend to hear guys like Scott Lawton being brought up at the trade deadline in his current contract situation where there's two full years left on the contract after the season. Normally that's an off-season move, but it's such an affordable contract that there's a way to potentially make it work at the deadline. Otherwise, you got you got guys like Walker who are on expiring contracts that that they will get calls about and they will certainly probably be steadfast in if they don't get what they want. They really like him. They may consider keeping him for the playoff run and beyond. It's definitely been discussed. The same thing can be said with Nick Sealer. And let's not forget that considering the fact that Rasmus Ristolainen is kind of dealing with an injury right now that's going to take his name out of some of these trade rumors as this moves along. Mark Stahl's gotten playing time and for a little while he wasn't getting playing time and had the same situation, that expiring contract, but it's hard to move a guy who hasn't seen the ice in, you know, very much in two months, you know, to get something of return for him. He's actually played a little bit recently and has fared well enough that I think that you may be able to bring him back into this, this discussion and maybe find a taker for him as well. If you, if you can get some interest for him. So it really, you know, there's not beyond Lawton, there's not really another forward that stands out in my mind as, a guy who is likely to be moved or is going to get a lot of calls because it just doesn't seem like there's much in that situation. But defensively, they've got three prime candidates for the trade deadline, and that's where I would expect a chunk of the action to come from. All right, uh, Kevin Durso, the Flyers, of course, off tonight, back tomorrow, and you can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. By the way, the uh, trade deadline is Friday, March the 8th, so still uh, about three Fridays left to go until they have to make that decision. T- tomorrow against Chicago, Saturday afternoon, and then a back-to-back uh, the Penguins on Sunday, and you can hear all three of those games right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, there, so good to see you, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. And I don't remember being at that game at Lincoln Financial Field. I don't remember being there. I guess I was. You tell me I was. I thought he and I went to uh, Pittsburgh together and did some stuff out there. I was at the Pittsburgh game. I remember that. Maybe I was at the game. I guess I'll take his word for it. I don't know. (laughs) Sports Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN. I guess I was at that game. Hey, can the Sixers really challenge the Celtics? You'll hear what J.J. Redick thinks coming up next. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Do you believe if Embiid was healthy, they could beat the Celtics in a seven-game series? I do. 
And, I, and, I'll, t- and I'll tell you, Joel Embiid is, for his career, has been battling injuries throughout every playoff run they've ever had. If Joel Embiid is healthy and he gets back in time and he's in shape and he's healthy and he's in rhythm, absolutely. That's J.J. Redick today on First Take. Asked if the Sixers can beat the Celtics with a healthy Joel Embiid. J.J. Redick said, yeah, they can with healthy Joel Embiid. But what else do they have that they've been lacking in the past? J.J. Redick. Let's not overlook the fact that the Sixers have not been a volume three-point shooting team. It's one of the reasons for stretches of the game, their offense is inefficient. They added Buddy Heald who's one of the greatest volume shoot three-point shooters of this era. Let's not overlook that transaction because Buddy Heald is a difference maker for that team if Joel Embiid is healthy. So he thinks the addition of Buddy Heald is the difference maker. Now, obviously, this is all if Joel Embiid is healthy and ready to go. But it was pretty matter-of-fact that this team is good enough to beat the Boston Celtics with a healthy Joel Embiid if he gets his legs under him and he's at 100%. One of the things that J.J. mentioned and knows all too well is what? Joel's never been healthy. So him sitting out, if they can get him back with about 10 days before the playoffs, is that enough for them? And it's not just Joel. It's all right. They've got Maxie. They've got now a guy in Buddy Heald. But do you guys agree with J.J. Reddick? Look, I was talking to a buddy of mine last night. You get to a situation where, you know, you're putting together shows for the radio, and I'm thinking, all right, well, the Sixers don't even have a game until Thursday. They've been off since last Wednesday. They haven't played at all. I said, but quite frankly, even if the Sixers play, I'm not, you know, a dummy. I understand that nobody cares without Joel Embiid, right? You might be like, eh, this team's fun, this team's neat. If Joel Embiid ain't here, you don't care. That's period, point blank, end of sentence. So you're looking at a whole two months still before Joel Embiid can get back. But J.J. Reddick seemed pretty confident that if he plays and he is healthy, that the Sixers can beat the Celtics. And I don't know how many people out there actually think that. That's the thing. You might say, you know, I can't buy into this team right now. But the point I'm making is it's so disheartening that after football's over, that's the time you're like, okay, I want to get into the Sixers and see where they kind of get themselves into the playoffs with Joel and Maxie and Buddy Heald now. And, you know, they went out and got Oubre, and he's been a nice addition and, you know, everything that they've gotten here. And the Joel and Beat thing just absolutely rips this season right out of your fingertips. That, that's the disheartening part. If Joel Embiid was 100% in the series last year at the Celtics and didn't miss the series, would they have beat them? <sighs> it's a tough question. I mean, they went seven games. They won a game without Joel, but you could ask the question, could they have gotten another one somewhere in there where maybe Harden didn't play that well? And Joel, I don't know. I, I-, I mean, yeah, I thought they went toe-to-toe with Boston last year and were just as good, just – didn't play very well in Game 7. Now, Boston's better this year than they were last year. The one question with Boston is their depth. They don't have the depth that they had. And I think the big difference between the Sixers and the Celtics in past series has been the Celtics have always had more depth than the Sixers have. You know, right, the, the, the starting lineups have been about equal. It's that when the Sixers went to the bench, they had the drop-off, and the Celtics were deeper. They're not as deep now. The Sixers, the Sixers are probably are the, the deeper team. team. It's unfortunate, though. It is disheartening. 
All right, when we come back, football at fours here. Adam Kaplan, taking a look at uh, inside NFL free agency. Who are the biggest names on the board for NFL free agency on the offensive side of the ball? And could this Eagles have their eye on any of them? We'll look at the top QBs. They need a running back. There are one, two, three, four, five, six running backs that are very intriguing on the board. That's coming up next with Adam Kaplan for Football at Four. Jersey 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I give my heart and soul to this franchise as so many of us do. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary. At Bet365, Adam Kaplan from the Inside the Birds podcast is here, which you can find on any podcasting platform and search for their YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds. Well, of course, NFL free agency is closing in less than a month to go. Who are some of the big names on the offensive side of the ball? We'll take a look at who could be on the move with Adam Kaplan today as football at four looks at free agency. We'll start on the offensive side of the ball with Adam here on a football at four Tuesday. What's up, Adam? It might good to, to talk to you. Yeah, so this is the time of year we go past the Eagles. It is called football at four. It's not Eagles at four. We always talk Eagles, but we are going to focus here, and we'll throw some Eagles notes in as we go over this list. But this is, this is kind of where free agency goes here. Uh, now, there's a reason why players make their free agency. Injury history, age. Um, team can't agree to a deal, but more often than not, there's a reason why they go to free agency. More often than not, the, the team does not want the player back. Teams rarely will walk away from a player they want back. That, Believe it or not, that's actually the truth from talking to general managers over the years. Now, there are selected times where, man, they just cannot agree on a deal. And remember, you only get one franchise or transition tag, and they can't tag two players. So they're kind of they're kind of in a pickle. And they what they try to do is they try to get, when they have a situation like that, a team will try to get one guy done to an extension, then one guy tagged. But it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, these are some interesting names. And obviously, um, the quarterback position has some big names to start off. And the Eagles, I don't know if they're in the market for a big name, but Jeff and I talked yesterday, you know, they generally like to have a veteran backup quarterback. We don't know if they're going to be able to go that route this year and probably not one of the guys that are that are on the higher level of the quarterbacks here. Well, they're definitely looking to get a veteran backup. You could, you could, you could count on that. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. Uh, now, so Kirk Cousins, let's start with Kirk Cousins. We start at quarterback. Obviously, the Eagles won't be in on him. Now, that some teams will. The problem with Cousins is Cousins is not his age so much. It, it, it's his, his injury. You know, he hasn't had an injury history, Mike, but here's the problem. He's come back from a torn Achilles. And they, they, any team interested in him has got to know what the timeline is. He was so good last season, Mike, before the Achilles injury. He's always had this bad, I don't know, particularly in social media. Some quarterbacks, fans love to hate or love to make fun of, but this guy's been extremely durable over his career except for this injury. So he'll be looked at as a starter. Ryan Tannehill will not be a starter anymore. He's not walking into anywhere to be a starter. He's what we call a high-end backup. Could be a bridge quarterback, bridge starter, but not a clear starter. Pittsburgh is a team to watch here. The Steelers are looking at another veteran quarterback. 
Baker Mayfield, Mike, will stay with the Bucks one way or the other. He mm. wants to be back. They want him back. What a season he had. Now, here's a guy the Eagles could have some interest in that I'm going to mention here. Jacoby Brissett is one of the top backup quarterbacks in the National Football League. The problem is it might cost a little bit more than the Eagles want to spend. Marcus Mariota's money last season was $5 million fully guaranteed at signing. Every dollar was guaranteed. He should command more than that. And by the way, Jacoby Brissett is a guy who's not had an agent for many years. He's done these deals himself with, with an advisor. And then the last backup quarterback here, Mike, is a guy the Eagles wanted to get back, but he wanted to have a chance to start, and he did. It's Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is a guy that is shown to be a quality backup quarterback, could be a bridge quarterback. That's a guy to keep an eye on here because, again, we were told the Eagles actually had interest in him, and um, they actually tried to sign Andy Dalton, who went to the Carolina Panthers. All right, uh, there are some quarterbacks. Uh, the Eagles need a backup quarterback, so keep that in mind. Running back. Right now, Philadelphia, Swift is a free agent. Boston Scott is a free agent. Gainwell is really the only guy of any uh, substance that's on the current roster. There are some big names on the running back market. Yeah, we should mention Ty Davis-Price. Um, was released from the Niners, and the Eagles have agreed to a deal with him. He's a former third-round pick. Yeah, the, his agency announced this. Um, and by the way, it's the same agency as Jason Peters. He'll compete just for a job, but they're, they're, what they put out is the Eagles, and we'll get the contract terms. We're going to give you the contract terms, of the full breakdown of Julian Acquire's contract on tomorrow's Inside the Bird Show. But uh, they, that agency indicated that Davis Price got a big deal in terms of Signing reserve future deal in terms of guaranteed money. That's interesting, so we'll keep an eye on that. But yeah, running back, look, Saquon Barkley, I'm told, did not have a good year. We'll have to keep an eye on uh, where he goes here. I, it'd be a small surprise if the Giants bring him back. Josh Jacobs did not have a great year. Neither did the Raiders. You had the head coaching change. Uh, he's a guy that will command a lot of money. Derrick Henry has to go somewhere where the team wants to run the ball first. There are not a lot of teams that are going to be interested to watch Baltimore and him. Tony Pollard had a down year. They changed the blocking scheme. Boy, he'd fit in really well here. Oh, geez, Kellen Moore's here. Interesting. But he's going to cost a lot more than uh, the Eagles would be willing to pay. Uh, Austin Eckler, another guy that Kellen Moore knows. Uh, Austin Eckler, Mike, has got to be in a two-back system. He, he's not really a full-time starter anymore. And then you mentioned DeAndre Swift. I, I just don't know, Mike, if the Eagles are willing to spend the kind of money that uh, he, he would command. He had a really good season, by the way. But, again, they didn't get him the ball in the past game where he really made his mark previously with Detroit. Yeah, there there are some of the higher-end guys there. Uh, there's some interesting running backs. The Eagles might have to go the free agent route, or maybe they just go with Gainwell, draft a guy, and uh, see what happens. But uh, that'll be something close to keep an eye on. They also are going to be in the market, you would think, for a kind of a slot third wide receiver. But, man, there's some big names and some interesting receivers on the market this offseason. Yeah, this is, Mike, this is a really interesting list. Now, when you look at it, a guy the Eagles had significant interest in, you might remember Calvin Ridley, and and thankfully the the Falcons let the Eagles know about his off-the-field issues, so the Eagles didn't wind up trading for him. Um, he obviously wouldn't be coming here because the Eagles right now, are, and this is this is more discussion for another time in terms of the Eagles at receiver, but T. Higgins probably will get the franchise tag. I don't see the Bengals sign him to an extension. Why? Because Jamar Chase is a guy that's going to make over $30 million a year most likely whenever he signs his extension. I can't see Higgins getting a big deal averaging over $20 million a year, tying up 
over $50 million a year at receiver. I can't see that at all. Um, uh, Michael Pittman, who had a great year, might remember his dad, Michael Pittman Sr., for running back for the Cardinals and the Bucks, who, who out of USC. Mike Evans. Now, this one's interesting. I'm told that the Bucks. Before the start of the season, they have a team that back out. They 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 really were not going to resign him. They made made that decision. I'm just throwing this out there. If Mike Evans doesn't resign, how about going to Kansas City, where they barely need a receiver to play opposite Rishi Rice? Just saying, if he wants to win another title, that'd be a place to go if he doesn't resign. And then Hollywood Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown, had a heel injury that ended his season. One of the fastest receivers in the National Football League. He's what we call an NFL number two receiver. He's not a number one, but a good football player. Uh, big names on the uh, wide receiver market. There should yeah. be a fun offseason for that position. Uh, we've talked before, Adam. Uh, you got uh, Dallas Goddard here. Some interesting tight ends. Probably a little higher end, though, than the Eagles uh, could be looking at. But uh, some interesting tight ends will be on the market. Yeah, when I, when I look at this list, Mike, it's not... It's not deep, but the the guy I really like, who I saw at the com- at the, com- at the Super Bowl last week, was Dalton Schultz of the Texans. Boy, he had a good season. When, when he came out of Stanford, Mike, he was just known as a blocking tight end, and then he became a good pass receiving tight end for Dallas. Uh, but they 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 drafted a tight end. Uh, Jake Ferguson is a better athlete, and Dalton Schultz is a tall guy. He, he's a, I, I would expect them to try to resign him. And Hunter Henry, who's around 30 years old, saw that mega contract, $12.5 million per season. It never quite worked out. Decent player. Uh, he is the other good tight end on the market. Yeah, there's a couple there. We'll see uh, what happens there. And uh, obviously, both of those guys, well, uh, Schultz anyway, uh, some ties to Kellen Moore. Might be a little out of the price range there. Uh, and then, obviously, a couple of big Big name uh, offensive lineman, and obviously the Eagles uh, could be hunting for offensive linemen. They need more depth than anything on the yeah. line. But uh, these guys here, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on some of the O linemen that are available. Yeah, we'll take a look at a couple tackles here. So obviously the Eagles, we'll, we'll talk down the line here, Mike, about what depth. Well, in fact, we're, we're actually the focus. We'll tell you. I'll give you a little nugget for tomorrow's Inside the Bird Show. We're fo- we're focusing exclusively on offense for the Eagles on tomorrow's show. Uh, we're going to have a backup, a list of backup pl- offensive linemen, but th- this show, what we're doing with you today is looking at the frontline players. Here's a big one for Dallas Cowboys, the Eagles' hated rival. Charon Smith, the indication is he still wants to play, but what will the Cowboys do? Because they got they have a bunch of contracts to get, to get done here. Um, so he is up. Tyler Biotish, their center, is up. So keep an eye on that. And Trent Brown, the left tackle for the Patriots, who did not have a good season, is also up. He was a massive guy. He was near 400 pounds when he was drafted by the Niners many years ago. Got his weight under control uh, with the Patriots, but he, he did not have a great season. And remember now, they don't have a general manager, and Bill Belichick is gone, so we'll see what happens with the Patriots. All right, uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking for There's some pretty interesting big names out there. The running back position, you mentioned Barkley, Jacobs, Derrick Henry, Tony Pollard, Austin Eckler, Swift. That, that's going to be interesting because uh, we know last year the whole uh, narrative about running backs getting paid. We'll see uh, what happens there. That's one that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on. And, of course, we'll be talking more about it here on Football at Four. Uh, Inside the Birds podcast. 
course, you can get it on all podcasting platforms. It drops tomorrow. And, of course, Adam Kaplan and Jeff Mosher are back for more football at four. We'll look at free agency. And then the draft will be here very soon as well. Adam, always appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, football at four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. So on that conversation, I want to take a look a little deeper. He had the higher-end offensive players. And one of the things you got to remember, I mean, the Eagles need a lot of help on the defensive side of the ball, but they also have some holes to fill on offense. So I have the list of the 25 top free agents on the offensive side of the ball. So I don't know if any of these 25 would be a right fit. You know, you got Jonah Jackson, an offensive guard. That might be a fit. If you need a guard, that's where the whole um, Kelsey thing comes into play. Because if Kelsey retires and Jurgens moves to center, Jonah Jackson would be a great replacement at right guard. Uh, Jonah Jackson from the Lions, he played on a really good offensive line there, really good run blocker. Uh, he's a quality guy. So that would be a guy who I've, would have some interest in. If I need a right guard, I don't know if I need a right guard. Um, Makai Becton, an offensive tackle, probably a guy that would not be someone you're looking at because probably a guy doesn't project to play any guard because you could say, hey, well, you can move him over to tackle once uh, Lane Johnson is finished. But I don't think um, that that would be a good fit there. Austin Eckler, the running back. He's a tough one. He'll be 29 years old in May. He's tiny. He played for Kellen Moore. He went from really, really good to essentially not good. I don't know if he's got anything left in the tank. Is he kind of like your Darren Sproles guy now, your third down, kind of scat back? I could see a situation where the Eagles go with like an Eckler and a Gainwell. And Eckler's kind of your classic third down back, and Gainwell goes more into that first and second down role, and Eckler's just the pass-catching third down scat back. I wouldn't be shocked if Howie could get him on a one-year deal like he's done with some of these guys in the past. So Eckler would be one. Uh, Jonah Williams is a tackle. I don't, again, I don't think the Eagles are in the market for tackles. Derek Henry, the running back, I mean, he's just going to be looking for way too much money. And keep in mind, he's at a age where you don't want to give that money out. I'm very interested to see what kind of contract Derek Henry gets. Baker Mayfield, the quarterback, obviously he's going to, uh, he wouldn't be in play. Uh, another guard, uh, Kevin Zeitler from the Ravens. Hey, again, this ties back to Kelsey. Do you need a guard or not? If you do, this would be a spot that you would say, do we want to spend money at the offensive guard position or do we want to just go with what we got? We drafted Tyler Steen in the third round last year. Uh, Tony Pollard, the running back from the Cowboys. Now, I was a big Pollard fan. Then he broke his leg and he just did not have the same burst last year. But... Kellen Moore knows him very well. Could be a same situation as Eckler. Does Pollard not have a market? And then the Eagles get him at way below value on a one-year type of deal. Hey, come in here. Show us that you're healthy. 
uh, get back with Kellen Moore. Look, the Eagles are becoming like this uh, running back rotator. You know, you got Sanders one year, Swift the next year. Then you go to Pollard. Pollard probably leaves. You go to somebody else. So Pollard, Eckler, keep those two names in mind as we take a look at the top free agents. Dalton Risner, another offensive guard. I think he, again, what happens with Kelsey? So any of these offensive guards, they are all in play if Kelsey leaves. Because you got Jurgens moving to center. You need a guy to play right guard. Dalton Schultz, the tight end. I think he's going to get paid too much money. He would be a really good complimentary pass catcher to um, Dallas Goddard. But I think they're looking for a guy... Uh, who can be bigger in the pass game than maybe Jack Stoll is, but also be a guy that can run block a little bit there as well. So I think Schultz would probably be out. You're taking a look at Josh Jacobs. I think uh, probably would be too much money. Um, Kevin Dotson, another right guard. He played right guard last year with the um, uh, the Rams. Uh, I, I thought he's a very good run blocker for that team that ran the ball pretty well last year. I think Kevin Dotson would be a name that you could keep an eye on. What kind of money would he be asking for? Um, also, again, tied to uh, to Kelsey and what happens there. He's only 27 years old, too. So he's the kind of guy that you can give a little bit of a longer-term deal as opposed to some of these other guys uh, that we mentioned before, you know, a guy like um, uh, Kevin Zeitler is going to be 34 years old. You got this guy, 27. Definitely Dotson makes more sense at 27. Saquon Barkley, you know, his name is big, but the injury history and the price tag is probably going to be too. I, I don't know what's him and, and Derek Henry and Josh Jacobs. Those three names on the free agent market at running back. What is going to happen there? That is going to be really interesting. Uh, Andre James is a center. Um, very good with uh, the Raiders. I just don't, you know, obviously if Kelsey's back, he's back. And you're not going to sign a center to play that spot. I mean, unless you looked at Jurgens and said, no, we liked you so much at right guard, we would bring a center in. I think there's enough guards on the market that you're interested in that you would probably go that route as opposed to, to you know, keeping Jurgens at guard. Another guard is Robert Hunt from the Dolphins. He's a guy that would be intriguing for the reason that he played tackle and then they moved him to guard. So he would be a guy that has positional versatility, very good run blocker. That's a good running offensive line too. So uh, I think Robert Hunt would be a guy that fits in there as well. Calvin Ridley, as uh, Adam talked about, a player that the Eagles had interest in in a trade a couple of years ago, but then he got suspended, had a solid year last year. Not really what they're looking for, though, that slot type of player. That's kind of what the Eagles look for. But he would be a pretty interesting player if you could play him on the outside and moved Devontae Smith to the slot. Can you imagine what that receiving core, Ridley, Smith, and A.J. Brown, whoo, that would be pretty crazy. Although I think Ridley commands way too much money. Connor Williams, the eighth best uh, free agent, is a center. Would probably be not interested there. Trent Brown, the offensive tackle, Adam hinted about him. I don't see the Eagles getting involved in a tackle. Hollywood Brown's interesting. Um, could he be, he's not a number one guy. Could he be a slot player? 
I mean, could you see Marquise Brown playing in the slot? Him and Smith kind of changing, interchanging a little bit. Like, we have heard a lot that you can see Kellen Moore using Devontae Smith like CeeDee Lamb and moving him into the slot more. But Marquise Brown could be a guy that could play some slot but could also be a number two in the right situation. And don't forget about the fact that in Lincoln Riley's offense, similar to what they did at Alabama with Devontae Smith, Brown didn't play exclusively one wide receiver position. He played all over the formation. I just don't think they would spend this kind of money. True. Yeah, that that would be, to me, Brown would be an interesting fit. I just don't see them ponying up that kind of money. Like, how much money do you think he's going to get ultimately long term? I'd have to look it over to cap and see what they're projecting, but I got to imagine it's not like, hey, come here and play for a year. Because he didn't have a great year last year because of the injury. So could you maybe get him on a discount because going up injury? If he ends up going through free agency and nobody's biting, and then you're on, you know, the, um, you're on the whole thing of, hey, I might need to do a prove it deal. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know that that's going to be the case there. But a thought. it's definitely a possibility, I guess, but I would be pretty surprised. Um, but he would be an interesting fit. I mean, could he, he could play. See, Smith, to me, can play inside or outside, and I think you're going to see him play more in the slot this year than he had in the past. I mean, I, he barely played any slot, but I think you'll see him being more used the way that they use C.D. Lamb. Some of Smith's biggest touchdowns at Alabama were in the slot. He is a very effective slot receiver, and I always wondered why they didn't use him more in that position. So Hollywood Brown, keep that name in mind when you're thinking about uh, when free agency gets underway. Uh, These are the top 25 uh, NFL offensive free agents. We're counting down that list here, uh, looking at players. Now, remember, these are the top 25. Not sure... Which ones of these, you know, now there are, of these 25, I think any of the other guys that play guard could be interesting if Kelsey leaves. You got to keep that in mind. Um, all right. So staying on the list, number five, Tyron Smith. I would think the Eagles, uh, would have no interest there. Number four, Michael Pittman Jr. He's another receiver that could play some slot for you and be a very intriguing, but I also think too much money. He's definitely going to require a lot of money. Yeah, 1,100 yards last year, four touchdowns at 109 catches. But um, he, he would be that guy with really good hands, um, probably not a number one receiver, but definitely would be kind of what you're looking for. Mike Evans, number three, obviously he's he's a number one A type of receiver. What do you think about all this rumor about him? Adam Kaplan brought up Mike Evans going to Kansas City potentially. I mean, that's a... That's a real, you know, almost like a fantasy football situation. Absolutely, yeah. If he wants to just, hey, go out there and try to win another Super Bowl. I don't know about a fantasy football situation. They need help at receiver. This isn't like, hey, we are so good at receiver. Adding him would be um, an embarrassment of riches. I think they need a receiver. They need a receiver, but, I mean, he's going to probably come at a big cost. Yeah, I mean, it. well... I don't know what their cap situation is, so I don't know what they can spend. on. And by the way, you can get creative and, and find ways to sign. That kind of stuff is whatever. True. So regardless, it's not like they, they have to make a couple decisions free agent-wise. Um, Ladarius Sneed is a Chris free Jones. agent. Chris Jones is a free agent. So they're going to have some decisions to make, no question about it. Um, so he is at the top of the list of free agents uh, as well. 
Um, I'm trying to find uh, SpotTrack does the the market values for these free agents. So I'm trying to find what the market value for uh, Hollywood Brown would be and see if that would be the kind of guy that they think, hey, you know, you might be able to sneak him in. You know, the Eagles have done well in the past of finding these guys and giving them the, like the, the Patrick Robinson type of players on the one-year deal. Hey, come here, prove it, show us that you can play. They have done a really good job at finding those guys in the past. Um, but I think uh, Hollywood Brown would probably be above that level. So uh, the last couple guys on this list, Mike Evans, T. Higgins, and then Kirk Cousins. And obviously those guys would probably be out of the market as well. So there you go. There's a couple of players that are the top 25 offensive players. Now, I don't see, why did I not see Brown? Let's see here. Uh, he is a wide receiver. Let's go to wide receivers and see if they have the market value for Hollywood Brown here and what he might, uh, there he is. Marquise Brown, market value for him. Cause I definitely think he would be interesting. Yeah. So, uh, market value, four years, 60 million. Yeah. I, I don't think the Eagles are going to go there. Now, if there's a team that just says, we're not paying that and he kind of slips through the cracks, which I don't foresee happening then possibly. But um, I'm trying to see, is there anybody else like Calvin Ridley? All right, let's see what his market value, according to Trek, is four years, almost $70 million. So, yeah, he's another guy who's going to get paid big-time money. Michael Pittman, when you uh, take a look at what his market value is, four years, $90 million. So he's even more expensive, and he's obviously a little bit younger than those guys. So, yeah. If you're thinking that one of those guys could kind of slip through the cracks, you're probably going to be a little disappointed. Here's an interesting name. What about DJ Chark? One year's $10 million. Now, he would be the kind of guy at one year, $10 million, Okay, that one would be one. Hey, you're a veteran guy. You don't pay, get paid a lot of money. He's still young that maybe he can uh, be a – because they definitely got to get an upgrade at number three wide receiver. No question. Josh Reynolds would be interesting, by the way. I would be very interested in Josh Reynolds. Two years, $14 million. Perfect. Perfect. Put him in. Right. But what did they give Zacchaeus last year? That would be an interesting contract to kind of look at, you know, because Zacchaeus actually had some, I don't say pedigree, but was, was, was a starting NFL player. So try to take a look at what that contract is. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Uh, we got plenty more to do. Jeff Kerr will talk some NFL free agency coming up at 5. We got the big three and the sound of the day coming up next. With Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Uh, on one hand, on it is refreshing for a generational player to operate with a, a loyalty and a humility that players of yesteryear did that we absolutely romanticize about. And I think his lack of obsession with his legacy is actually quite healthy in today's climate climate and is very much the antithesis of what we often see from quarterbacks and superstars in the NBA. But all of that comes at the expense of capital B baseball and its fans, because, of course, loyalty is a two-way street. Mike Trout has more than kept up his end of the bargain, and the team has obviously not. So to date, I think the best way I could sum it up is Mike Trout has enjoyed a career of immense value, but absolutely no consequence. And because of that, to date... 
Mike Trout is a baseball tragic. Uh, that was earlier today on Greeny. Hembo says Mike Trout is a baseball tragedy. What is happening here? You know, this is an interesting story. You know, we always look at the stars of the game. And sometimes when they bounce around, we criticize them. LeBron, he left Cleveland. He went to Miami. They went back to Cleveland. Now he's in L.A. Kevin Durant, he was in Oklahoma City. They were a good team. They went to the finals. They had Golden State beat. They end up losing that series. And then what does he do? He leaves Golden State and he goes and joins Gold, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma City and he goes and joins Golden State. Now he's been on Brooklyn. Now he's in Phoenix. I feel like Mike Trout is in a situation where he is in his mind potentially doing the right thing. Look, I got drafted here. I signed here. I want to stay here and I want to win here. We always ask our stars, be the reason why your team wins. You shouldn't have to go bouncing around to go play with someone else. The problem for Mike Trout is he's had Otani. Rendon went there, and then Rendon today said, eh, baseball's not really uh, something I really like doing. I'm just kind of here. They signed Pujols. They gave pitchers different deals. They have spent a ton of money in the Mike Trout era, and unfortunately, Mike Trout hasn't been able to stay healthy enough to help win in Anaheim. So he's at a crossroads of his career where you're at the point now where if you're Mike Trout, you're making so much money that are you even desirable by some teams? You know, I had a lot of people this offseason, you took a look at and said all the Mike Trout murmurs and rumors of whether or not he would come to Philadelphia or get traded. There's some people said he's 32 years old. He's been hurt so much. I don't want Mike Trout on that contract. You get to a point in your working life where you're so good that when you get paid, you now make yourself an undesirable asset. You better be historically, historically great and be able to maintain it. There's only a handful of guys that I've ever seen be able to do that. LeBron James is one of them that at 39 years old, he's just as good as he was at 32 years old. What's Mike Trout going to be like at 39 years old? What's that contract going to look like at 39 years old? Because he's got a lot of time left on that deal still. So any team that decides, you know what, let's take a chance with Mike Trout. He signed that deal. He is signed through 2030. That is six more years on that deal. 12 years $426 million, and God bless him for getting it. But when you sign that deal, you're also now in the point of your career of, I better like where I'm at because nobody else is going to want to pay that dollar. Right? If you decide, I'm going to sign that deal. You know, there was a lot of people that were surprised that Mike Trout decided, you know what, I'm going to commit to Anaheim. You can't sign a 12-year, $426 million deal and think that you can get out of that thing. You've got to be a 100% committed or maybe 95% committed. You know, A-Rod, when he famously signed the deal with the Texas Rangers, the only team that could really afford to take him was the Yankees. You can't trade that guy to anybody else. And as the contract gets later and later and his age goes up and up, Mike Trout, he, Hembo says it's a baseball travesty. Travesty, it's, 
he put himself in this position. You know, sometimes we all want to get paid what we're worth. We all want to make as much money as humanly possible. But money is an evil thing sometimes. If you price yourself out, you have now trapped yourself. And Mike Trout, by taking that contract, has trapped himself because nobody wants that contract. So him signing that deal is a catch-22. Kudos to him for saying, I started in Anaheim, I want to win in Anaheim, and I'm going to prove it by signing a 12-year deal. But don't think you're getting out of that deal because nobody wants to pay a 32-year-old guy what he's getting paid right now, especially coming off the injuries. It would be different if the injuries weren't following him around the last. He has to have a clean season where he really breaks out. Now, he hit last year, uh, 263, had 18 home runs uh, in 82 games. He played half the season last year and had 18 home runs. So he was having a pretty good all-star season. He just couldn't stay healthy. The year before, 119 games. Uh, 36 the year before that. So the last three seasons, he has not been able to stay on the field. Is part of the issue here goes back to our recent LeBron conversations that how we look at these players, how we think they should be and look at the world is different than how they view it. You know, Mike Trout didn't want to leave Anaheim. He said, look, this is the team that took a chance on me after other teams passed on me. By the way, people forget that the Angels passed on him as well once on the draft, but that's a different story. It, the point is, is that Trout feels this level of loyalty and comfort there. And that, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't want to win, but, you know, like Rendon, people have different things that are important to them, other people, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Rendon, what he says, he, you know, he looks like an ass. You can't say that, whether it's true or not. I mean, you can't come out and say, ah, baseball, you know, I don't really enjoy doing it every single day. Okay, slap me in my face after you just signed a contract for how much did he get? Two fifty. Yeah. So he looks like an ass. Trout, on the other hand, look, he was the rookie of the year there. He finished MVP first three times. He has been the runner-up in MVP three times. He's been top five in MVP multiple times. He's been an All-Star every single season. That he has been in L.A. with the Dodgers. I mean, with the with, with the Dodgers, with the Angels. So he's been an all-star. He's been an MVP. He's been the MVP runner-up. He's been the rookie of the year. He's been a silver slugger. I mean, he's been everything that the league can have except for a winner. And I totally commend a guy who says, look, I'm on the team that nobody thinks can win. I'm going to be the reason we win. So he has locked himself into that decision, though. So... I feel like people want to have it both ways. Well, stop bouncing around. Stop changing teams. Michael Jordan wouldn't change teams. Larry Bird wouldn't change teams. Well, then the minute that Mike Trout decides I'm going to sign this long-term deal, we get to the point that you're saying, well, he trapped himself in Anaheim. That was a bad decision. So it's almost a catch-22 for the guy. Look, he certainly has been a Hall of Fame player. He's going to make it to the Hall of Fame first ballot uh, easily. I mean, he can retire now 
and and well, likely get in. I, I say definitively three-time MVP, 368 homers. You probably would have to, you know, this is where the numbers start to come in play. What are the numbers now for the Hall of Fame? He's over 300 hitter. The home runs are 368. He's under 1,000 RBI, but he has the three MVPs. He's been probably, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven time all. I mean, you would think that he is a definitive Hall of Famer. 100%. Yeah. But people like to judge people based on championships, you know, and it goes back to LeBron conversation. You know, you have... You have been critical of LeBron, Mike, because you have said that, you know, why did LeBron have to move to Los Angeles to have his business? He could travel anywhere. He could live anywhere and have his production company. He doesn't have to live in Los Angeles. Yeah. But guess what? LeBron, that's how he thinks. It's not how we think. So is it possible that maybe Mike Trout is just a different dude? Oh, I think that's definitive that he's a different kind of guy. I think we know Mike does not like to be in the spotlight. He so likes then, to kind of hang in the background. He doesn't want to be the face of baseball. He is, you know, quite happy and content being on the level that he is at in terms of uh coverage and how recognizable he is. I think he is quite happy with where his uh where he is at. Well, then then Hembo's assessment then is unfairly putting him on a pedestal he doesn't want to be on. That's not for Mike Trout to decide, though. I mean, a pedestal that Mike Trout doesn't want to be on. What does that have to do with the conversation? That has nothing to do with what Hembo's saying. He's saying a player of that magnitude should be... Evan Cohen said yesterday morning that nobody criticizes Mike Trout for this decision because nobody cares. That's a sad statement that he makes. You have probably, now, he's probably not considered the best player in baseball today, but for a 10-year period, you could say, Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. But Evan Cohen's point was, he might be the best player in baseball. Nobody really cares because he doesn't care. And I don't know that that's fair to say that Mike doesn't care. I think Mike certainly wants to win. And for most stars, we say, hey, don't go jumping around ring chasing. Win where you are. They're just saying you have this player that is of this magnitude and is so unknown to baseball fans. And that essentially it's doing a disservice to the game that you have a player of that magnitude that is not as recognizable as he should be. I agree with that. I would just ask the question, then what can be done about it? I don't know. I mean, what do you mean what can be done about it? You can't make the guy come out of his shell if he doesn't want to. You can't put him in a different market. Uh, you can't just say, hey, Anaheim, you need to trade him. You can't just say, hey, you're going to go play in New York. I don't know that there's an answer to what can be done about it, but the damage has already been done. He's been in the league for 10 years. You can't just all of a sudden say, hey, we're going to put you on the circus tour and uh, reshape who you are. This is what he is. This is who he is. Uh, he's a Hall of Fame player, a three-time MVP, an 11-time All-Star. You're not changing the perception of who he is. But I think Evan Cohen's comment yesterday is quite alarming of, hey, we are looking at a guy like Otani and saying he has to win in L.A. with the Dodgers. Like, you're making all that money. You have to win. People aren't really saying that about hey, Anaheim has to win. Look what they paid Mike Trout. And it's like he hasn't had 
a lot of criticism that comes with signing a contract of that big, which is kind of odd, right? Generally, you sign a contract that big, people. Now, I applaud Mike for saying, I'm not going to New York. I'm not going to Philadelphia. I'm going to stick it out here with the team that drafted me. But their point is, here's a guy who probably should be a bigger fate. And this has been talked about. This isn't like... This isn't breaking news. No, that, you know, and this is what Evan Cohen said yesterday on Unsportsmanlike. Mike Trout has found a way for no one to care about him. It's unbelievable. We don't ever hold it against this guy that he doesn't win because we don't care enough. We've said about Shohei Otani, he better win this year with the Dodgers. We say it even Kawhi, who tries hard to get us to not care about him. We actually say, well, this, this Clippers team better win at some point. New arena next year, new contract. We don't care at all if this guy doesn't win. I don't believe anyone cares if he doesn't win. Isn't that crazy? Like, there's nobody that says, you sign that contract and your team stinks. It's not really a – he doesn't get the um, criticism from the national media that people who sign contracts like that generally get. So are we saying that this is – at the end of the day, it's it's less about Mike Trout than it is about the team that he's on? That it's more of an indictment on the Angels that they have taken this super talent. Yeah, but a lot of times when him. you get to that point, you start to be critical of the players on the team that are the reason why the team isn't winning. You know, you you start to look at you know, yeah, the Angels aren't winning, but why? You got this guy Mike Trout making four hundred twenty six million dollars. How are they? You had Otani. You had Otani, you had Trout, you had Rendon. I mean, they went out and signed a boatload of pitchers over the last couple of years. Oh, a ton, yeah. Um, and haven't won anything. Not right. even close. Uh, last year at the trade deadline. Now, Trout was hurt. Now, three of the last the last three years, he's been hurt to add to the fact that the team hasn't won. But it is a you know interesting scenario where you have a guy who's a three-time MVP, 11-time All-Star, a, probably a first-ballot Hall of Famer, and we're talking about a guy who has essentially never been to the playoffs. Uh, so, and quite frankly, I don't know that there's a scenario outside of Mike having a tremendous start to the season and then possibly, if the team's not good, saying, I got to do something because he still has six years left on that deal. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. The 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Coming up at 5, Jeff Kerr on the Eagles' biggest team needs this offseason. But coming up next, what would you do if you saw a horse running down the parkway? That's next. We have the perfect sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I don't know how many people saw this story today. But there was a horse running down I-95 in Philadelphia. Now, what would you do if you were driving down the expressway or the parkway and you saw a horse running next to your car? Would you stop? Would you? I pull up for immediately. I just get out of the way. I am not getting run over by a horse. The horse is sprinting alongside drivers on I-95 in Philadelphia early this morning. I think he got stuck in Schuylkill traffic. but Or the traffic gets stuck because of him. Well, he was running on the shoulder. He wasn't holding traffic up. It was just running down the shoulder of I-95. 
Like, can you imagine? Like, I'm watching the video of this. Can you imagine the visual of being the person in the car who was filming the horse running down the interstate? Just straight gallop. Flying. Like, sprinting. Down the stretch he comes. Heading towards the stadium. The horse worked, uh, the horse's owners worked with the police to bring it to safety. Uh, they did end up capturing the horse and getting it back to safety. But how many people out there would have tried to help the horse, stop the horse, or just let him keep running? I probably would let it just keep running in that case. I was like, I'm not the expert here. I've never seen a horse just running down the uh, the I-95, the interstate like that. The state police had a horse walking around in Seattle on Saturday when I was down there for the uh, Run Walk for Autism. That's a little different. Walking around with the police, not sprinting down the expressway, uh, the I-95 interstate. True. I hope you see the difference. I do. Uh, when we come back, the NFL offseason preview with Jeff Kerr. What are some of the biggest team needs he sees in the NFC East? That's next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. All right, final hour of the Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Mike Gill with you. We've got uh, another hour to go. We've got uh, a lot of NFL we're going to get into with Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports in just a second. He's got his team needs segment up right now over at CBSSports.com. You can take a look at that. And, of course, we'll go over the Eagles, the NFC East stuff. The deadline for tagging players is coming up. So we've got a whole bunch to get into with Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports right now on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Let's bring in Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports to talk a little NFL, a little football as we get ready for the offseason, which is uh, here. And we know we've got the uh, free agency about a month from now, a little under a month, actually. Jeff, what's going on, buddy? Uh, Mike Hill, you know, uh, crazy times over at uh, CBS these last couple weeks, but we're back, baby. We are back, and we got the offseason ahead. We're going to plan on that. You have a big article over at CBSSports.com about all the team needs going through the Eagles. I mean, you can make a strong argument that they got team needs at just about every spot on the field. But the big spots for you I want to go over. Let's start. Team needs running back. Uh, that's an area where they generally don't spend money. They've got a free agent in uh, DeAndre Swift. There's only one running back, really, with experience on the roster. They did sign a guy today from San Francisco, but how do you think this offseason is going to look like in terms of filling that running back? Do they just say Gainwell's the guy? Do they draft one? Do they go get a big name in free agency? Do they retain Swift? What's this running back spot going to look like? I actually think they're going to draft somebody. Um, I don't know what round. I couldn't project that, but it seems like if there's a route to not necessarily say go cheap, but uh, be smart with your money. I feel like drafting a running back would be the way to go. Now, I wouldn't be opposed to them bringing DeAndre Swift back unless it's a 
I don't like the multi-year deal for him. Uh, if he wanted to come back for a year, I think the Eagles would take that. But as you know, Mike, they haven't given out a multi-year con- uh, contract to a running back since Ryan Matthews. So looking at their history and how they treat that position, if DeAndre Swift wants to come back on a one-year deal, that's great. I just don't see him coming back on a two, three-year deal. Okay, what about like some of the names, Eckler, Pollard, who have ties to Kellen Moore? I think you're probably the Saquon Barkleys, the Josh Jacobs, and Derrick Henrys. I think that's, you know, you're probably not looking there. But what about Eckler, Pollard, uh, that J.K. Dobbins, someone like that? I would take a flyer on J.K. Dobbins. I think he's a stud at running back, personally. But you're right, like guys who have the connection, Tony Pollard, was very effective when he had Kellen Moore. Now, granted, Ezekiel Elliott was also with him, and the Dallas Cowboys offensive line was healthier. But look at what the Eagles got on the offensive line. Even if Jason Kelsey leaves, you're, you know, is Cam Durkin's a, a drop off? Yes, but he's still his natural position is center. They should be fine there. So I think Tony Pollard would be a nice fit. Austin Eckler, he was just not the same guy after the ankle injury. Kellen Moore really didn't get an opportunity to see what he could do with Austin Eckler. He had that high ankle sprain of week one, and then all of a sudden Eckler was probably the worst running back in terms of – I think he was the worst running back in terms of yards per carry after week one of the season. So Austin Eckler would be intriguing. I think he'd be cheaper. But, again, it's got to be a one-year deal for these guys. And I still think Dallas wants to bring back Pollard. Uh, I think Eckler's days in L.A. are gone – what about Eckler? What about Eckler as a guy like uh, Sproles? Third down, catch the ball in the backfield, just part time role. If he's willing to they do gonna, like a one year, four million type of deal, are they going to use him like that? Though, I mean, last year we thought they were going to use DeAndre Swift. Well, they got new, but well, you got Kellen Moore as a different play caller yeah. now. I I know, but again, different play caller. I understand that, but until they actually do it, um, I mean, I'd be okay with it. You know, my, I wanted to get this point out. I know he's not probably going to be an option, but I think Saquon Barkley would look really good in this offense. Wow. I, well, you know what? On that front, I'm really – I, I want to see what your opinion is. I am really intrigued when free agency opens – what happens with the high-end running backs? We know what the running back salary story has been the last couple of years, but you got Derrick Henry, but older. You got Josh Jacobs with some uh, tread on the tires. You got Saquon Barkley coming off of a mediocre year with a ton of injury issues. What are those three guys going to be getting on the free agent market? I think it's going to be interesting to see which one of those guys can get a multi-year big-time deal, if any of them. Jacobs is the one I thought deserved a big-time deal after last year, and he never got it. Uh, he got the franchise tag and kind of waited around, and Josh McDaniels did not use him right at all, by the way, which is really bizarre because he used him perfectly the year before. So I- I'm curious to see what Jacobs' value is. It, I-, I don't know if he'll come back to the Raiders or not. It probably makes sense for him to come back there, but you're really going to take significantly less from that team than you did the year before. Um, Saquon Barkley, as we know, the injury history, but he was the Giants' best player last year. He was really their only player on offense last year. Um, who's the other? Uh, Tony Pollard. That's another guy. Like, he only averaged four yards per carry this year after averaging 5.2 his first four years. He was one of the best yards per carry running backs in NFL history, and then all of a sudden comes a feature back, and he's not as good. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by those guys. Uh, look, the running back market, I think, is a lot better than say, the quarterback market, say, the wide receiver market. It's definitely an intriguing market to watch. All right, uh, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, looking at the team needs uh, for the Eagles. Let's stay on offense. 
What about tight end? Dallas Goddard, 29 years old now. He's been banged up a bunch. This is when they drafted Goddard and they still had Ertz. So is the draft a spot where they can look for a team need filling tight end? Or do you think there's some free agents that might fit the bill? They do need a veteran number two tight end. I, I said on record yesterday, I think they should bring Jack Stoll back. I don't think they should improve the tight end position at the expense of him. I think they can keep him around. But they just don't have any depth behind Dallas Goddard. So maybe they do draft one high in the draft. It's uh, kind of uh, restock the cupboard, if you will. Uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you this. Who's had a better career after six years? Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard? Oh, that's a good question. I would probably lean Ertz, and I am a big Goddard fan, only because, I mean, Ertz had a historical season. I mean, he broke the record, uh, the league record for catches by a tight end. I mean, he had the, the, the Super Bowl run there that he, he was probably the best receiver on the team, the most reliable guy. I think Goddard is probably the better like overall player, but I think Ertz has just had a, probably a little, it's close though. I keep going back to this. Say Zach Ertz would retire today for whatever reason. I oh, think he, he I, essentially I, did not. He, I know he signed with the Lions, but was he even active in the playoff game? Uh, no, not really. No. Uh, but basically my point is Zach Ertz would get Hall of Fame consideration. He, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he would get considered. Dallas Goddard would not. Yeah, well, I think the injuries were, were Goddard's issue. He was on pace for a thousand yards two years ago. He got missed four yeah. games, missed four games again last year, but I don't think they used him very well last year. But I agree with you. I would be interested to see them get a more pass catching threat as the backup tight end as opposed to a guy like Stahl who really offers nothing in the pass game. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Jack Stoll has a role on this team, but. And it feels like Dallas Goddard's on an island. Like, Zach Ertz always had Dallas Goddard late in his career you could go to, and it was the strength of this team. I, I like to see Dallas Goddard have that. And, again, uh, Goddard's still got a few good years of football left in him. Uh, you know, he, he's still a really good tight end, but you're right. He's just got to stay on the field. Uh, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, uh, projected cap space, by the way, for Philadelphia, about $20 million. We'll talk more about how that could change. Uh, as we look at the team needs, uh, we talk about running back, tight end. I guess number three wide receiver is also something they got to start to think about improving, that the Quez Watkins experiment has got to be done. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, there are way better wide receivers out there than Quez Watkins right now. And look, uh, I think it was Ruben Frank who had the stat, like, what was it? The last eight or nine time, I, you know, I don't want to butcher Ruben Frank's stat, but pretty much it was when Quez Watkins got a target 20 yards down the field, he either fumbled it or it resulted in a, an interception. So that's not good. Like the guy's got a lot of speed and the NFL team's got to take a chance on him, but. He wants out of Philadelphia, and the Eagles don't really want him back. They definitely need to improve at that number three wide receiver position. And, though no, it should not be Omelai Zacchaeus here. Like, I, I like Omelai personally. I think he has a role in this team if they want to bring him back, but he can't be the three. All right, Jeff, let's go to – and, by the way, I think some team needs also on the offensive line. We don't know what's going to happen with Kelsey – but if Kelsey retires and Jurgens moves to center, you're probably going to have to figure out what you want to do at right guard. But I also think they need some depth on the offensive line. Yeah, uh, I think that flyer they took today on Darian Kennard was uh, very intriguing to me. So I liked him out of Kentucky two years ago in the draft, and the Chiefs ended up getting him. And I thought he was going to be like Trey Smith, you know, just kind of work his way into the lineup and never 
Um, particularly, uh, the Chiefs obviously went and signed Jawan Taylor, so that was kind of the end of the of the Kenner experiment. But man, if you get him with Jeff Stoutland, just give him a year. Maybe he can be like a Fred Johnson, you know, and be a valuable backup tackle for them. Uh, it, it was worth a flyer. All right, Jeff, uh, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports. Let's look at the defensive side of the ball because there's a lot of team needs over here. And, uh, as you wrote over at CBSSports.com, they need to revamp pretty much the entire back seven. So let's start at corner and safety. Let's kind of combine the secondary here. Um, you got Bradbury, you got Slay and Maddox. They are all signed. Bayard has a deal. Nobody really expects them to pick that up. And then you got Blankenship. I mean, you could essentially run it back, but you don't see that happening. No, I want the back to be a cap gatherly, uh, too, because he's been injured a lot. So, and look, you got young guys in there. You got Eli Ricks. You got Keely Ringo. Uh, I think you can still add another quarterback. I don't think Slay's going anywhere. Uh, Bradbury is going to be very intriguing to see what they do because that contract, it, it looks like it's – I hate when people say it's a terrible contract. It is a terrible contract, but you loved the contract a year ago. So, you know, it's – I guess that's buyer beware. Like, I don't think James Bradbury could be as bad as he was last year, but you really want to keep him around for another, what, $12 million, I, I think his uh, salary is for 2024. So I'm curious to see what they do with him. Kevin Byard, as you said, Mike, I don't see him coming back. Not, not at that – salary um so you're right it's slay ringo ricks blanket ship city browns hurt what do you got that you got back there i mean it's you're definitely going to improve the safety position uh by the way the lions cut tracy walker today i'm a little curious about that one well and everybody talking about uh eddie jackson a guy who has been with vic fangio in the past do you replace byard with him do you think you can get a cheaper option there i asked jeff mosher on monday i'll ask you jeff kerr when the eagles open the season friday night in brazil in september will reed blankenship be the starting safety Ooh, that's a good question uh i'm gonna say no all right your your answer matches jeff mosher's answer so it looks like you think they're going to replace Blankenship as a starter and quite possibly both starting safeties, it sounds like, then. So as we look at these team needs, revamping the safety spot, possibly uh, you're probably looking at slot corner. Maddox, you said cap casualty, most likely with the injuries. you got to find a new guy. Or is there somebody in-house of the group of, uh, you know, it's like the group of five, not the power five, the group of five, Eli Ricks and Makai Gardner and, uh, you know, uh, Josh Job, any we of those for- guys. We also forgot Isaiah Rogers, too. He can play that role. Isaiah uh, Rogers. Just, uh, yeah, yeah he, I thought, I, I think he's a guy that we're going to have to watch a minicamp, we're going to have to watch a train camp, and look, uh, I think there's a role to be had for him on this team. Like, Ali Roseman, you don't claim a guy who's going to be suspended for a year if you don't have plans for him. Yep, uh, but Rodgers, another guy. So you got all those guys that got a little bit of playing time last year. They all had, like, moments, but nobody really jumped off the pages. Ah, that's the guy. Ringo, Job, you guys know the names. All right, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, looking at some of the Eagles' offseason needs Let's go to uh, the edge rushers because, all right, uh, we got this Hassan Reddick thing. We don't know what's going to happen there. But if he leaves, now you got a big problem. But you probably have a problem even if he's here. Yeah, you do. Uh, you know, outside of him and Josh Sweat, he got rushing the passer. Um, look, I love how they want to bring Brandon Graham back. I think that is necessary. I think Brandon Graham's good in the locker room, but you're going to need depth. Um, do, do you get that in the draft? Do you try to sign a guy in free agency? Do you have the money to sign a guy in free agency? 
you got Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis in the middle. Uh, Milton Williams is still there another year. I think they're fine at defensive tackle, but Jordan Davis said something on Locker Cleanout Day that really stood out to me. We got to make sure we take the next step with Fletch not being here. So is he implying Fletch isn't going to be here, or is he just saying, you know, right now Fletch isn't going to be here? But if those two can take the next step, they'll be fine at defensive tackle. But pass rusher, you need one. Uh, you you definitely need one band where you keep a on rag or not. I, I think they need pass rushing now. Yeah, and uh, Fletcher Cox, we asked him uh, at Radio Row this year. We had him on the show. We asked him if he planned on coming back. He didn't give us an answer. Just kept kind of saying, you never know. You never know. You never know. So uh, hard to tell whether Fletcher will be back. But if he's not back, you got Jalen Carter. You got uh, Jordan Davis. You got Milton Williams. Uh, is that deep enough? Is that good enough? Uh, they might probably need to find somebody else in that spot. You mentioned Brandon Graham um, as an edge rusher. But Josh Sweat, you said, all right. But Josh Sweat looked like he lost a step last year. Yeah, he did. And, and that's the thing. Like, I still think Josh Sweat has potential, but the Eagles were really strong when they were rotating Asan Reddick, Josh Sweat, Brandon Graham, when Brandon Graham had the double-digit sack season. Uh, you, you know what they really missed last year that they got rid of? Derek Barnett. I thought Derek Barnett could have helped that football team, but change of scenery definitely did wonders for him. Yeah, I mean, it felt like that's what the Eagles were missing, is that younger guy who could – get a bulk is uh, get rotational snaps and Barnett just never he was always he was hurt and you know then he went to Houston and actually played well there but he did not play well when he was here so they got to find someone in that role because I will say I didn't mind them signing Barnett to the contracts they did I thought they got him at good value he just couldn't stay healthy now can Nolan Smith be that guy that's that's going to be the question you draft this guy in the first round he has to show more than what he did his first year and I always give Ed Rogers the first year or two because it is one of the hardest positions to learn and master in the NFL. But Nolan Smith has to contribute a lot more in year two than he did this year. All right. Team needs. We're talking with uh, Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports. You look at uh, the edge and defensive tackle. You don't list linebacker as a team need, but maybe you just were told you can only you can only name five because I got to imagine uh, linebackers yeah. a need as well. Linebacker is more than a need. It's a necessity. Uh, you can't bring back the guys that you want back. And look, if they wanted to bring Zach Cunningham back, I'd be all for it. I just don't think it should be as a starter. Um, so you got Nicobe Dean, you got Zach Cunningham. You got to add somebody else in there. You got you got to get a veteran in there somewhere. You got to get a playmaker wherever you find. That team really missed TJ Edwards and Kaiser White next year. All right, uh, and by the way, Nicobe Dean, we we know he's coming back, and it sounds like Howie Roseman is almost penciling him in to be a starter. So it's almost like Dean, and then somebody else. You got to find somebody else. So that'll be something. Um, I don't know. Um, draft. You could, they got two second round picks. Is this the year they say, you know, we we are going to invest in something we generally don't? Should be that year. Um, I could see them going corner. In round one, I really could. Um, round two, I think it's a wild card. I think they could go offensive line again. Uh, I they like to go running back in round two with the if it's the right fit, but they never seem to get that fit. Tight end, tight end, yeah, tight end's been a popular round two pick. It's Ertz, I, I think Ertz it's, and Goddard I, were both second round picks. I don't think they're going to go position of need in round two. I think they're going to go position of strength or make a position of strength stronger. I mean. 
Would you be shocked if they drafted an edge rusher early? No, nope. And, and a lot of it is because of I don't know what to think of this Reddick thing because, look, I think Reddick. I don't think he asked for a trade. I think he asked for more money. And the Eagles said, we don't want to pay you more money. Go see if you can find more money. If you can't, come on back. You got a spot right here in Philadelphia. He's one of those guys that I I like him a lot. And he's been a good soldier throughout the year. Is he a top five pass rusher? I I say no. They're in a tough spot with him, though, Jeff. I mean, is he a top five? He was for the last three, four seasons, but at any point when you hit that 30 years old, you can go from the top five to a 25. I I have defended him on this. I wrote a column for this back when he said he deserved uh, an extension or a raise. I thought he was underpaid. I, I, thought, I, I definitely felt he was underpaid, and I still think he's underpaid, uh, but – are you really going to pay him Miles Garrett money? Does well, that's that the problem. Sense? That's the problem in the sports world is you you don't get paid for what you did, you, you know. And he he had big years and was underpaid for those years. They don't say, "Hey, you outperformed, so now we're going to pay you more." They're saying, "We got you for under market value, but now you're getting older. We're not going to pay you because you're not going to be as good as you were." There was a player I defended uh, for years that played for Philadelphia that. The fans just couldn't stand at the end of it. And it was Ryan Howard's contract. I said, well, hold on a second. You guys were okay when he was making 430,000 in 58 home runs, but now you're mad because he's hitting 190 with 25 home runs making 25 million. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't work like that. I hear you, man. I hear you. Mike, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Howard was one of, you're right. Ryan Howard is one of those guys that they got, uh, rookie of the years out of at these crazy low prices. Then when they signed him to the big deal, he didn't perform to those levels, but that's the problem with sports. As you get older, you get paid less when you're young, especially in baseball. They don't make any money early in their career. You got to wait to get to those years. Um, but we'll see. All right. There you go. Good breakdown team needs with Jeff Kerr from CBS Sports. Make sure you continue to follow at Jeff Kerr CBS for all his off-season NFL coverage. He's also going to be covering the Phillies a little bit now for CBS as well, so you can follow Jeff for both football and some baseball coverage. You're going to be going to spring training. I'll be down the same time you are. See, now there uh, we will cross paths. Oh, we will. So this is what i got to ask you because I've never been to Clearwater as – Oh, wow. Yeah, I've never been there. It's crazy. Like I, my family is gone. We go to like forty Phillies games a year. This isn't counting playoffs, and we've never been to Clearwater. So this is all going to be new. It's going to be exciting for me. Uh, so you're going to have to show me some spots down there, Mike Gill. Well, you found the right person. <laughs> I, I'm excited. Like I, I, I've never been down there. It's going to be cool covering games. Cool talk to some of the guys. And I will say, so you're going. To, I think you said the 21st to the 23rd. Yes. All right. So that is uh, NCAA tournament weekend. Uh, that is going to be the the right. Well, the NCAA tournament is the twenty first. So that's a Thursday to Saturday. So there's games all those days. I don't know what the Philly schedules like um, on those particular days, but I think they I think they play afternoon every day. They do, but I don't know if they're. Are you going on the road? No, I, I actually think it's a home stand I'm going to. Gotcha. So I think it I, I think it's I think we purposely set that up where it was like three straight games at Baycare Ballpark. Gotcha. All right. Well yeah, I know I'm going to the game on Monday. It's the last game at Baycare Ballpark for the for the entire spring. It's the final spring because they play Monday at Baycare and then Thursday they play at uh 
at Citizens Bank against yeah. the Braves. Don't they usually go to, um, I can never say the name, uh, the Blue Jays facility, the last game. Down in Dunedin. Uh, Dunedin, that's it. I, I couldn't say it. Uh, I knew you would know it. And then they, they they're then playing they in home, Dunedin. Right? They're playing, um, the Blue Jays in Philly, uh, in Clearwater on Sunday. Okay. They play the Yankees in Tampa on Saturday, and they're at home in Clearwater on Thursday and Friday. Okay, yeah, so you know what? You're right, because that's right, the Saturday game in uh, Steinbrenner Field I'm going to, too. Yes, a little different. Clearwater and Tampa apparently are not far from each other. They are about a 20-minute drive from uh, Clearwater Philly Stadium over to Steinbrenner Field in, uh, in there. But when the games are over... On Thursday and Friday, you got to make your way over to Clearwater Beach for the uh, the late night NC. Not the late night, but the the second you know um, half of the NCAA tournament games. And I'll I'll let you know where we are. Yeah, you know me, Mike. I'm a basketball f- savant. Uh, I watch probably more basketball than I should, uh, quite honestly, and. I can't get enough of the NCAA tournament, even if there are no local teams in it. Yep. Oh, we love it. In fact, you know, you won't see me at the Phillies games because we'll be watching the NCAA tournament all day. Uh, That's why we're going to the game on Monday when there's no NCAA tournament games. We might go to one of the games. I'm going to Dunedin for a day to catch the Blue Jays play, but uh, we'll see. So I'll hook up with you down, but we'll talk before then. Yeah. How many uh, spring training teams have you been to? One, two, three, four, five, six. All the ones in that cluster there by Baycare? Uh, yeah, Phillies, Yankees, Blue Jays, Pirates, Rays. They're old, the Rays' old stadium. They don't play there anymore in St. Petersburg. Yeah. They moved to Port Charlotte. And Pirates in Bradenton. And, um, oh, I went to the Phillies' uh, Jack Russell. Oh, nice! So you were at the old you were at the old stadium then back in the day. Yeah, my first year of going to spring training was the Phillies at Jack Russell, and I've been going ever since. Yeah, they closed that in what oh three. Yep, right around oh three. I think was the last season at Jack Russell. Oh four was the was it was Spectrum Field for a little while there. Now it's Bay Care Ballpark. So yeah, that's the only that's the only Phillies minor league stadium I haven't been to is Clearwater. Well, and it's great. It is a fantastic uh, spot. So uh, looking forward to seeing you down there. All right. Sounds great. All right. Jeff it, Kerr, man. everybody, from CBS Sports, of course, on the NFL, at Jeff Kerr, CBS. And uh, we'll continue to look at the NFL offseason with Jeff right here on the Sports Bash. When we come back, it's today's Big Three. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, time for today's Big Three. It is brought to you by Union Forge Vodka. Flyers fans, it's time to level up your game day ritual with the ultimate power duo, the Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. Cheer on the Flyers with the best-tasting vodka produced right here in Philly. Grab a Union Forge bottle today. Big Three, three biggest stories on Josh's mind today. Well, we'll start with college football because it, we know they're expanding to 12 teams for the tournament, Mike. But there were some very interesting details. Apparently, one of the most important details, according to Heather Dinich of ESPN, is that they wanted to make sure that this 5-7 format, for those who don't know, it would be the top five major conference teams and then seven at-large teams, which allows the 
two remaining Pac-12 teams to fall into that seven. But it was very important to them. Did we have any idea where they're playing next year? They are playing against the Mountain West Conference for most of their games. Are they in the Mountain West or are they just playing games against them? They still officially legally have the title of the Pac-12 Conference. Hmm. Okay. As of now, as of February 20th, by the time we get to August 20th, that might change because, you know, lawyers, as Andrew Brandt would say. But one of the important elements in this agreement is the College Football Playoff Committee intentionally will not refer to the Group 5 in any of its descriptions of their format. This is because they are concerned that a champion from one of the Power 4 conferences would potentially be ranked below the top champion from either the American Athletic Conference, Conference USA, Mountain West, Sunbelt, or Mid-American. So they purposely made the verbiage that there's no way that a major conference champion could ever be knocked down below one of the group of five. Yeah, so the way I read it was... The four conferences will be ranked one, two, three, four. So, in other words, if Notre Dame is the number one team in the country, they cannot be ranked one, two, three, or four. The best they can be is number five. Correct. And by the way, Notre Dame's athletic director voted for this. So, he's one of the ten major names who are voting on this agreement. Interesting. Yeah, so you're going to have a Big Ten Big 12, ACC, and SEC, one, two, three, and 4. I guess the question is, though, I, I imagine you can't have a scenario what has happened in the past where two teams from one conference are in the top four. You cannot anymore. But with the seven slots, you are allowing multiple teams from multiple conferences to make the playoffs. And we'll see if some of those teams play each other in back-to-back weeks. The other agreement that's going on is, so as you know, the New Year's six. For years, those bowls have had specific affiliations with conferences, right? They are trying now, as the next agreement they're working on, to eliminate that, according to ESPN. The New York Six Bowls will no longer have specific conference contractual affiliations. I was waiting for the moment that that was going to start to happen where, you know, it's no longer a... Big 12 against ACC in this particular bowl. I guess now it's just open to whoever you can get your hands on first. Open season. That's what it's going to be. And of course, as we know, the playoff uses some of the bowl sites for their semifinals and finals. So, of course, there's that rotation coming in as well. Well, you have 12 playoff games. Are they going to be like the, the, are the, is 12 versus four or 12 versus five, I guess would be the first round game? It'll be 12 versus five. 11 verse 6, 10 verse 7, yes. 8 verse 9. Mm-hmm. And then they would play 1, 2, 3, and 4. Are those games going to be bowl games? No. So the original plan is still in place as of the current agreement, which is those will be held on campus. Oh, okay. Interesting. So 12 verse 5 will be at the 5 school. Correct. Gotcha. So if Notre Dame is the number 5 school... And let's say, I'm just throwing out a name, UCLA. Huh? Boise State. Boise State's 12. Then Boise State would have to travel in that scenario to Notre Dame. Gotcha. Now, there is discussion, according to Chris Vanini of the, at The Athletic, that they could potentially have neutral sites for some of these playoffs. But then 
the question is, well, how would those be different than bowl game sites? I mean, I don't know how with all these teams going to the playoffs, how are you going to fill all these bowls now? Right. You you already are taking twelve teams out of the conversation altogether. Mm-hmm. And you, in years past, have struggled to find teams to fill all the bowls. You were taking teams with losing records. I imagine that would be the next step. Is anybody's available? Anybody's open to a bowl game if the bowl game wants you? Well, maybe you should stop trying to keep teams that went from FCS to FBS out of bowl games, and maybe you have more teams. Maybe one or two, like James Madison, for example. Yeah, that's one. Uh, what was what was the one school from um, Florida that that beat South Carolina this year? Uh, what was it? Was it Florida International? I double check that. There was there was a team from oh no Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State that wouldn't let in a bowl game. Two, I said one or two. Still. That's not filling all the bowls, but no. But you took care of two of them. One. Well, no, they wouldn't play each other. <laughs> No, it'd be like Jackson State versus, like, Cal or something. Oh, I mean, there's too many bowl games. It's it's ridiculous. But, I mean, look, they all ra- do well in the ratings. I mean, for the most part, all these bowl games are alive because people watch them. They do. And that's how big football is. Football is so big that random dude will watch random two schools because, one, it's football, and two, he can bet on it. By the way, did you know that... Uh, I don't know if you saw this news, Mike. We have now crossed 11, sorry, number two, 11 billion in sports betting revenue in 2023 alone. 11. In 2020 what? Three alone. 11 billion dollars. Not surprised. I mean, after being in Vegas and seeing what that place looks like. Not surprised. There was a 44.5% increase from 2022 in 2023 in sports betting revenue. In fact, according to certain research, in states like New Jersey and New York, the biggest loser in those states, money-making-wise in sports books, are parlays. Parlays I did see that, yes. are the biggest loser in New Jersey and New York. I did see that the parlays, that the, the sports books are cleaning up on people betting parlays. They well, except for against Des Bryant. Right. <laughs> see that he had a 13 out of 13, 13 parlay. 13 out of 13. College basketball. <laughs> you need to go hang out with him. That's what you need to do. That, that's to be your new friend. You guys can bet college basketball together. Yeah, sure. Um, the, uh, the, one of the factors in the increased money is also because Kentucky, Maine, Massachusetts, Nebraska, and Ohio all joined the online sports betting foray. Well, I would say, I mean, being in Vegas for the first time, the main difference is that they've had sports betting since whatever, the seventies and Atlantic city just got it. Now, 20 years from now, if Atlantic city doesn't look like Vegas, <laughs> somewhat like that, then something's wrong. <laughs> I mean, because that town is basically exists because of the sports betting. Now, now you would say, well, there's apps on your phone so that, you know, the casinos aren't making all like uh, the brick and mortars, I guess. But they're all, you know, the DraftKings and the FanDuel, I guess, bring in a whole heck of a lot. But, you know, but I would imagine most of those. Of that billions and billions of dollars that you just talked about are going to DraftKings and FanDuel? Uh, a, a good amount of it. I will say that New Jersey, for example, they brought in just over a billion dollars alone in sports betting revenue last year. So 
New Jersey, one of $11 billion in sports betting revenue in 2023. Yeah. Well, I'd like to see, uh, some buildup of, uh, of the city. Yeah. Maybe they could reinvest it. Fix some of those potholes. Be nice. Mike, I wanted to tell you about, so I don't know if you saw this, the athletic every year does an NBA player poll at the all-star game every year. So I wanted to ask you a couple of their questions and tell you what some of the player answers were. You ready? Yep. Who is the best player in the NBA today? Uh, Best player in the NBA today, Jokic. Jokic was one of two players who received the most votes. The other player he was tied with was Joel Embiid. Okay. That would have been my next guess. So they were tied for number one. Tied for number two were Luka Doncic and Anthony Edwards. Good, good, good. Ant-Man getting so I love that dude, man. He's great to watch. Tied for third is Kawhi Leonard, Tyrese Halliburton, and LeBron James. Halliburton, way up there. That's not going to feel good to the people who think that uh, they could have gotten Halliburton for Ben Simmons. Not sure how real that was, but if you could have, you're really kicking yourself now. Uh, Paolo Benchero was on record saying, I could only pick between Joker and Embiid. It just hurts to pick one. Hmm. Fair. Doncic wouldn't even answer the question. He says, come on with these dumb questions. <laughs> Good for him. And Anthony he didn't Edwards. didn't want to answer his own name, that's why. And Anthony Edwards says, right now, it's me. Good for him. Tyrese Maxey can, said, can I say me? No, I'm just kidding. It's Joel Embiid, of course. Got to be Embiid. Next question. If you could be Adam Silver for one day, what's one thing you would change about the NBA? Uh, Three-point shot. You, I'm limiting it. You can only shoot so many. The number one vote was changing the schedule to eliminate no more back-to-backs ever again. Fair. The number two voted item was players saying they wouldn't want to be Adam Silver for a day. Weak. The number three answer was a tie between technical found refunds and a four-point line and mandatory late game reviews. Yeah, we don't need a four-point line. The review system needs to be better, but the three-point shot has to be um, monitored. You you just can't have the, the game is being destroyed with this three-point shot. Bam out of bio said, "Quote: I wouldn't want to be Adam Silver." I don't want that job. That's too stressful. Uh, Malik Beasley says, I had a four-point line so me and Damian Lillard could just beat the entire league. Devin Booker says, no back-to-backs. They are the worst thing in the NBA. That's pretty powerful, though, to hear a player say that. Next question. Do you still support the NBA 65-game mandate for awards eligibility? I mean, I like the concept of it to make the guys not sit out for... It has to be tweaked. Like, if you're legitimately injured, that's a problem. The problem is you don't know when guys are legitimately injured. Unless, okay, you are legitimately injured. Like, not, hey, back hurts or something like that. It's hard to monitor that, though. But I definitely think they had the right idea, but it kind of has... I don't know. To hear a player complain that they have to play is mind-boggling to me. So, 37% of the players said, yes, it should be a mandate. 25% said, no. The rest said they were not sure. 
They met a bio said, quote, there is a rule there for the reason I don't have anything to say against the rule because I love playing basketball. So I'm going to try to play as many games as possible no matter what. Good for him. Jalen Brown said it's tough because honestly, I do believe that if you win any type of award, I think you should have to play a significant amount of the season. I agree. I mean, 65 is a good number, but you could put that on the voters. But I don't know. Next question. Who is the best team you've played against this year? Now, and so I'll transfer for you, Mike. What is the best team you have seen this year? You haven't played, obviously. I mean, Boston, I think, to me, is is the best team. Um, I'm not sure it's close either. I mean, Minnesota would be the top team in the West. The Sixers went on the road and beat them. So I think Boston's the best team, and it's probably a gap between number two. 50% of players said the Boston Celtics. 40% said the Clippers. 10% said the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, Minnesota's solid. I mean, they're a really good team. I just don't know that they're close to Boston right now. I like Oklahoma City um, as well. Sixers went on the road and beat them too. The reason why they were picked the Clippers, Donovan Mitchell said, I would probably say outside of us, Cleveland, the Clippers are definitely, you know, one of the top teams in the league for sure. Definitely very good. Clippers. Uh, Lori Markkinen said, we only played Boston once, but we got smacked. <laughs> so I think they look pretty good. I like his uh, candor. Final question for you. Is there too much offense in today's NBA? They're not enough defense. I don't know. They had a good segment today. J.J. Reddick's really good on first take, and he brought out, like, all these numbers and statistics that, you know, why the offense is expanding, the spacing on the floor means the defenses have to work so much more than they used to back in the day, all this stuff. The three-point shot. I mean, the teams are just bombing away. They're just shooting three after three after three after three. Uh, I think um, that's not enjoyable basketball for me. I don't know. I don't think the ratings are saying it's enjoyable. I think the ratings have been down. So, yeah, I, I think they need to find a middle ground in some capacity. 50% of the players said, yes, there's too much offense. 40% said no. 10% said they weren't sure. Devin Booker said, yeah, it was harder to get 70 back in my day. <laughs> 70. Malik Beasley says we definitely need to defend better. There's just way too much scoring right now. Meanwhile, Luka Doncic disagreed, and he said, there's plenty of defense. Trust me. All right, Sports Bash, good stuff there. We'll uh, wrap up the show on the other side. More Sports Bash coming up on 97.3 ESPN. It's with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, get ready to get out of here on this uh, Tuesday night. But before we go, I want to tell you to check out my friend Rocco over at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Yep, indeed. If you're thinking about a new car, they've got them for you at great prices. How about... A 2024 Acura Integra lease for just $369 a month or a 2024 MDX lease for $489 a month. That is now through the end of the month of February. Holy mackerel, we're flying through February. So if you're thinking about it, you got nine days left to get those outrageous prices. Stop in and see Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City, Tilton Road in Egg Harbor Township. The small but friendly dealer online at Key Acura of AtlanticCity.com. It's right up the road. Easy to get to and check out. Brand new 2024's MDX at a great price and the Integra uh, for three eight, uh, $369 a month. I said $389. $369 
a month. It's a really good price uh, for an Acura, which is a fantastic uh, car. All right, Mike Gill in the Sports Bash getting ready to get out of here. Nothing tonight. Got nothing going on. Maybe I'll go back to uh, comedians in cars drinking coffee. Have you ever watched any of those? I watched a couple of them. They're fun. We watched probably 10 of them last night. By the way, I thought of a show that you might be able to check out. Do you have Hulu? No. Oh, okay. There's a show called Will Trent. It's about a quirky guy who's like a genius at solving like murder mysteries. Somebody told me to watch The Reacher. I think it's on Amazon Prime. It is. I do have Amazon Prime. It's kind of like a thriller. Yeah. Maybe. Let's see. I'm a little tired. I stayed up till 1230 last night watching comedians in cards while drinking coffee. <laughs> and you were wishing you were drinking coffee. Then I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning thinking, man, I wish I didn't stay up till 1230 watching <laughs> comedians in cards drinking coffee. Uh, all right, we're back tomorrow. Thanks to Frank and the Phillies mailbag. Kevin Durso on the Flyers. Adam Kaplan has football at four. Jeff Kerr on the NFL. Or Sports Bash tomorrow. we got some new things happening. Start tomorrow on the show. We'll uh, explain tomorrow here on the Sports Bash.